tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make that call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, direct from the Late Late Show, our young friend Cara Darmody is with us live in studio. Listeners will chat on assorted topics. The Guardian Clonmel District, they're hosting a commemorative event in Mulnahone this morning. We'll have Ali out there covering that live. Global Politics with Thomas Conway, the youngest promoter in the music business happens to be from Tipperary. We'll be hearing from Brian Buckley later on in the programme as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We will also play Tip FM's Match 3 game just after 11 o'clock this morning. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm. Com. Now, our young friend, 12-year-old Cara Darmody, was on the Late Late Show on Friday night to receive her long-awaited result of the Junior Cert Maths paper. Now, for anybody who missed it, here's how it went. Yes, we have them in an envelope oh, wow. here. Oh, Daddy. So, oh, so, okay. so Cara, okay. here's what I'll say to you. Whatever results you get, as I said a minute ago, everyone's agreeing, you said if you got 50%, you'd be happy. I said if you got 10%, if you got 1%, you've achieved something here tonight, okay? Oh so God. that's the most important thing. Oh but we're going to find out, how, does, it, does it matter greatly what results you got? No, it doesn't matter. I get a sense it matters a little bit, but we'll, it's okay. I want to help people. I know you do, darling, and that's why we're going to ask the principal Absolutely. to open up. So... Would you like Daddy, to say it? I'm delighted to say... The Cara, you got 97%. Oh, isn't that absolutely fantastic? And Cara is with us here in studio and her dad, Mark, as well. So much congratulations to you, Cara. You must be absolutely delighted, are you? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm absolutely delighted. I'm amazed. I'm shocked. Never thought in a million years I get ninety seven percent and I'm so grateful to everybody who supported me on this journey, um, including you. Yeah, well sure, and why wouldn't we support you? But ninety seven percent in a maths exam for God's sake. <laughs> like that's that's incredible. Thank you. I wasn't expecting it at all. And I put in over 400 extra study hours, which is about 70 extra school days. And I'm really happy and I didn't expect it at all. I thought I'd get, like, getting 50% would have been a dream come true, to be totally honest. Yeah, but to get 97%, absolutely it's beyond incredible. beyond dream. So tell me about the night of the Late Late Show last Friday night. Then what was that experience like for you? It was a really, really great experience. I got to meet like so many people, and it was really cool. And they about an hour and a half before we went um, on the show, like the before we were on, they brought us into this room called the green room. Yeah. But it was more red and blue than green. It wasn't. There wasn't one bit of green in it, except for my mom's dress. There was no green in the room. It was only blue and red. Very good indeed. Tell me about the beautiful necklace that you're wearing. 
this necklace I'm wearing. Okay, so basically, Mary Black gave it to me, and we were talking to her, and we decided to go over and talk to her, and she was really, really nice. She probably spent about 15 or 20 minutes with us, and she took off her necklace, and she gave it to me. And I told her at first that she didn't have to do it, but she put it around my neck. Isn't that lovely? And it's absolutely gorgeous too, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really nice. I'm, I wear, I've worn it every single day since I've got it. I I'm w- going to wear it every day. I wouldn't wonder indeed. Mark is with us uh, as well. It was an incredible experience, wasn't it, Mark? It was, friend, yeah. I suppose it was uh, just for her to get her result like that. Look, I, I suppose we had a tear or two uh, yeah. to do it in front of the nation, I suppose. It's probably embarrassing. But look, uh, that like aside, yeah, look, it was just um, the culmination of an awful lot of hard work because everyone knows about her advocacy, but everyone kind of forgot that she actually did the exam. Yeah. And what was she going to get? Yeah. So look, I, I mean, someone just texted me there this morning. We don't do the celebrity thing, but like there's over 400,000 views on the RTE video alone. 400,000 400, views already. So like it's it's their it's their biggest watched video by a mile. Um, so look, people, I suppose, bought into the actual result itself. So this will just propel her forward. Now, I suppose I will just address one little thing online. There's just a couple of comments where people would say, how come she got the result before the others? Yes, yeah. The State Examinations Commission were not involved in this. They didn't release it because they never had it. This was done by the Department of Education separately. Okay. So there's no controversy here. I do understand people asking the question. Yeah, it's the 23rd of November. Exactly, those are the results. But that's the State Examinations okay. Commission. They never had her result in the first place. Okay. So there isn't controversy controversy here but I mean look for her I mean to be able to say in years to come that this is what she got it's the stuff of dreams isn't it just yeah tell us some more of that late late show experience I mean you you, you said the reaction of the audience for example on the night yeah look when after it everybody there was a four minute interval gap I mean like the crowd were standing chapping uh clapping, cheering, the cameramen like had to high-five her, like it took us about three minutes to get off the set, which is about 30 metres long, simply because people had just surrounded her, it was like Maradona had walked in or something like that it was just, for us, it was surreal as parents to just see your child being embraced like that, but I mean like Ryan Toverty, <laughs> like when he caught her and lifted her up in the yeah, air, and yeah. like, like this is what you don't see on camera, that he sat down with us for 10 minutes beforehand, and like what a reception that we got from them up there, but like, yeah, look, as I say to you, um, the, but, but this sums up Karen. I'm just going to sum her up like this. Most people will not believe this. She has not watched this back, nor have we. She has no interest in the celebrity aspect. What she said to me was last night, no, Daddy, I don't really want to see it because I know what happened. All I have interest in is helping those 18,000 people. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it is. You weren't tempted to watch it back, Karen, no? No, because... Like that in that time period when I'm watching it back, I could spend that time helping people, right. and I'd rather help people than watch myself back. Right. So you don't want to get caught up in all that aspect of it, is that it? No, I'm just doing this to help people. Yeah, isn't isn't that fantastic? And that's what you told Ryan on the night as well, just there in the clip that we played. That's what's important to you, isn't it? Yeah, that's what's important, but Ryan, but we're not going to get out of the fact, though, that Ryan was very, very nice. Like, he? he came in um about, like, an hour before we went on, maybe, like, an hour and a half, and he came in, and he um he talked to us for about 10, 15 minutes, and he sat down beside me, and he was talking, and he loved high fives as well. Did he? And I gave him loads of high fives. Um, and he also, like, hugged me a lot, and he, um at one stage, he picked me up into the air, and then I was, like, taller than him for a couple of seconds. 
Uh, it's lovely, isn't it? It's like, great to see that she's acknowledged like that, you know? I mean, look. Yeah, I, I, I suppose just for her campaign going forward, yeah. this is the important yeah. thing, that the nation now knows who she is. Now, look, we, we went shopping in Aldi uh, yesterday, which normally takes about 40 minutes. I think it took about two hours. Uh, <laughs> we just couldn't walk a metre without somebody yeah. coming over, which was lovely. And uh, Walking up the street, it's, it, you know, her life has changed now, and I get that, but it's going to change for the good because it means that she has the platform now um, to help people, which I'm sure that we'll get to. But um, Yes, and yeah, so. we're going to talk about the addressing the Oireachtas Committee in in just a moment, but I mean, you were tough on the HSE officials, Carrie. You told them, just do your job. Yeah, it was a bad week for the HSE, all right. Wasn't they got it hammered. just? Wasn't it just, yeah. Well, you did a lot of the hammering. Um, why, tell me about that, I mean, about telling them the way it is. Well, I when I went into the Oireachtas Committee the other day, I told them that, that I'm very angry about the way children with disabilities are in general are being treated and that like they need to do something about it, that nobody is treating this like the house is on fire, that everyone I meet is always the same. They're always like, like oh, we'll do something about it and they'll, they're all talk and they'll talk out plans, but they won't actually do it. There are no action. They're all talk and no action. And it really annoys me, because why can't you all just do something about it? Because I'm sick of adults who just talk. Like, Why can't all these adults stop talking and just do something about it? They need to treat this like the house is on fire, like it's a, cri- a national crisis. And when you, when you told them that, what was their reaction to, to a 12-year-old telling them what they need to do? I suppose, look, the Oireachtas was very serious and I told them my points and I suppose they listened all right and they said some things afterwards, but... Mm. It's, but like, and I told them that it's that it was surely not wrong of me to ask politicians in the HRC to just do their job. That if I can sit um, the Leaving Sir Matt exam um, at 12 years of age, because I'm doing that this year for free, then why can't they do a job that they are paid to do? Well, that's a very good question indeed. That must have been a tremendous day as well, Mark, wasn't it? You know, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was very hard hitting, it was tough. Yeah, like a, you know, like what you saw on camera for the hour and a half was was what people saw. But there was like a lot of discussions afterwards, a lot of uh, discussions in the days and weeks beforehand. But yeah. just look, look, she's already made a bit of progress. They've already taken our uh, submissions on board for summer provision. So the committee has uh, told us they are issuing a direction. There will be a direction issued to special schools that they have to do summer provision next summer. It's no longer acceptable that children cannot have summer provision. So that's going to happen. Now, of course, what you'll see immediately is the industrial uh, relations kickback. You just know that yeah. there, there'll be, uh, that they'll fight it to a nail. But look, uh, the focus has to be on those kids who need help the most. So not on whether someone can do it or not. Boards of management need to be issued with legal directions that you have to hold summer provision within your school. And that's just the way that it has to be because we have to focus on kids. What else do you think has been achieved so far, Mark? I suppose, um, I think what she... Are you saying by Cara there? Yes, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Uh, well, look, I think she woke up Saturday morning. I think every politician will be going into work this morning saying uh, we can no longer ignore that issue. Once it appears in the Late Late Show, that's it. It's mm, now a national yeah. issue. So, I mean, it's going to be brought up in the doll 
in the first leader's questions this week. Yes. Um, she also had a meeting with Mary Lou MacDonald for 90 minutes. A very, very respectful meeting. And again, all the issues discussed. So they'll, they'll be bringing it up in the doll immediately this week. Um, so no longer, like the Taoiseach cannot ignore this the way that they have been doing up to now. It's now like on national TV. Uh, so it can't be ignored. So what she's done is, I think... Uh, we're, we're getting to the point where politicians will have to treat it like a crisis. Mm. So, look, we're not there yet. I can tell you that we're not there yet. She'll have to keep advocating. Um, we're nowhere near there. But, like, even online, I, I, I did monitor just for the pure purposes of our campaign, not one single comment defending a politician or the HSE. Quite the opposite. Mm. They got annihilated over the weekend online. So the appetite among the people of this country to finally treat disability with the respect that it uh, deserves is there. And I suppose like the final point I'll make is, and, and Cara mentioned this in the Oireachtas Committee, there's over one million, uh, sorry, uh, almost one million people on waiting lists. Yeah. It's like it is a national disgrace. Uh, I cannot believe that this will not be on the ballot at the next election. Do you think so? Do you Absolutely, think it will be? 100%. Yeah. And I said to you a couple of months ago, and people probably thought I was mad, she can get on the Late Late Show and make a difference. I like, look, no one can uh, predict tomorrow, but they're going to have her back on this mm. time next year mm. with her leaving search result. And we're going to be very close to an election. And what she'll say that night is going to have a ripple wave because we see it today. She's having a massive, massive right. wave. So so the message has to be, Mark, do something about this oh, absolutely. and do it quickly. Absolutely. And if this government doesn't do it, Sinn Féin will. I have no doubt about yeah. that because there is... Any any politician who would try to defend HSE management, it's a losing game. It's as simple that you just have to. They'll all see it online, like they've got hammered online for this. So, like the days of um, they need to hold the HSE to account because they're mm. doing irreparable damage across this country. Tell me about that hour and a half, Cara, with Mary Lou Macdonald. Uh, what what was that like? I suppose she was very, very nice and she listened to what we had to say, to say and it was a very good meeting in general and I said a lot and I think at the start that I probably spoke for about 20 minutes before I took a breath. <laughs> I just said everything I could think of yeah. and then I did it for about 20 minutes and without even taking a breath and then I finally stopped because I suppose I kind of told her what my main points were and what I wanted to get across and she listened to me and then my dad also brought up some points as well mm. and... And how did she react to you? What did she say to you? She listened to me and she said that, um, I suppose, when I told her that, like, that they need, that, like, they, the HSE needs to be made accountable mm. and that parents have to stop pr paying privately for services, that she agreed with me. That, like, everyone I've met, that no one's disagreeing with me. They're all agreeing that the HSE are doing a disgraceful job. Right, but of course, what they need to do now is action this yeah. in some way, and that's that's uh, what the, uh, what has to happen. What are you hearing, Mark, from from other parents uh, of children with autism? Are, are are you getting huge support there? Um, look, Fran, I suppose, especially over the weekend. Uh, look, we'll be up there uh, all night for the next week, answering most of the messages. We're talking, I'd say, there's a thousand messages through my Facebook and through the through her fundraiser, which I'll talk about like in a second. People just contacting us. Uh, she's inspiring people to yes. fight back. This actually reminds me of like hundreds of years ago in a war where where uh, one one person would lift the flag and run into the enemy mm. unarmed and run towards them. She's like that 
person now and she's inspiring the army to come behind her and that's what's going to happen here. But there's so many other issues, Fran. I mean, even in the Oireachtas Committee, about one third of it was taken up with carers' issues. And I know that you've had Richie Malai on here. Yeah. Like Family Cares Ireland are now backing her 100% and they were on the Late Late Show with, with her. Carers are being treated disgracefully across this country. And like the rhetoric needs to change. It needs to be said to the politicians that like people are going to have these issues with disability and health issues and you need to support these people 100%, not treat them like they're lepers. So like things like the, the carers, that's going to become a major issue as well because every one of us is going to care for somebody at some stage in your life and what are the government doing about it right now? Very little. Very little indeed. Tell me about the fundraiser, Mark. Fundraiser, yeah. So basically, uh, yeah, look, look. so Cara's now a national figure, so we're hoping the people can get behind her. So um, she has an I Donate page, uh, so idonate.ie, and it's uh, Cara's Mount Everest Maths Challenge, because everyone tells us it's impossible, although I don't think people believe that anymore after I don't 97%. Think so either. But at the same time, uh, the whole idea is to raise funds, and that money will go uh, once again to the two schools, our Finnan National School and Skullcormac special school but also uh, as I am and Family Cares Ireland uh, get a quarter each now uh, as most people know we are very legitimate people at this stage and uh, part of the deal is that every single penny has to go to families in crisis not to pay people's salaries or anything else so every penny will go where it needs to go that's our guarantee to people but that fundraiser is is open uh, right now and we would urge people to get behind her because the last fundraiser when she raised 40,000 that's how how she got to government buildings because yeah. people said people are actually taking her serious so the more money we can make it'll add pressure and pressure and pressure and eventually I have no doubt uh, there's cracks already there um, you're going to see um, the window smashing eventually Right and we look forward to that uh, for sure so leaving cert maths uh, where do you even start Cara? Uh, well we started back in September where we got the book and we just started the first page and I suppose since then we've been doing it page by page by page and we've just been doing it very slowly and we're going to be doing the curriculum for the whole year until June um, when I'm going to be sitting the exam and it's been really tough. Like last year it was tough enough but this year it's really hard. It's way harder. It's really hard. And whenever I'm struggling I always think of the people I'm helping. Those 18,000 children and my brothers as well. I'm always thinking... And does that inspire you and push you on all the time? It always pushes me on. Like when I feel like this is too hard that's what makes me keep going that I'm doing this to help people and that when this is all over that I'm going to have helped so many people and that (laughs) inspires me to keep going. Which is excellent indeed. And, you know, speaking of help, you were telling me off air that your dad, Mark, has been a tremendous help to you, hasn't he? Yeah. No pressure. My daddy's been a great teacher. Yeah, Yeah. he helps you with the math. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, and, um, if I don't understand something, daddy will keep explaining it. He'll find ways so that I can understand it. And then also, daddy's really, really nice to me as well. Of course. And also, um, whenever I get hungry or anything, he gives me crackers (laughs) in the middle of the class. Okay, well, uh, uh, Fran, sorry, could I just. Course, just yeah. just finish yeah. by saying here again, once again, thanks to Tip FM, thanks to you. When nobody oh, wanted to know welcome. or Tip FM were the ones who came immediately in. And this is where she wanted to be this morning. She did not.
not want to be on Ryan Tuberty, Claire Byrne or any other show. She wants to be. She said, Daddy, I want to be on uh, uh. Friends. And, you know, look, the viewers should know that Ryan Tuberty was aware. Um, he knew Frank Curry when we were chatting <laughs> to him. He was very impressed with Tip FM. And we, as Tipperary people, should be extremely proud of the platform that you provide here. And just from our family, uh, thank you so much to Tip FM, well, which is Ireland's number one premier uh, station. You're, you're, you're very kind. Of look, we're delighted to play a small part in this huge success. Can I finally ask you before I let you go, Mark, sure. um, local representatives I'm thinking of, um, will you be approaching them directly at this point? Yes, look, we notified them that she was up in the Oireachtas. Look, at this stage, every one of them is asking parliamentary questions. Right. Go back a year, they weren't. So I'm going to convene a meeting uh, when the doll breaks before Christmas. I'm going to invite the six uh, elected representatives in Tipperary uh, to meet me and Cara. And it's as simple as that. So there'll only be eight people in the room. Look, if they can't all be in the same room, they can send a representative. Right. But all the, like at the end of the day, I know we're talking nationally, but in Tipperary, we have a crisis. Um, up in Minister Rabbit's office, she had all her figures up on, on the wall. Um, CHO5 is the worst by a million miles. It is a disgrace what's going on. There's not even a speech and language therapist available right now. And they're not even hiding that. They're writing to parents saying that there's no speech and language therapist. Yet there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids waiting for it. And they're allowing this to go on. So at the end of the day, we do have to deal locally as well. And in Tipperary, it is a crisis. It's not a political issue. It's just a disability issue. It's a human rights issue. So the politicians need to come together now and just say, right, we need to work on Tipperary here because that's where we're based. So I'm going to call on them uh, to come together and um, put massive pressure on our local HSE here. But, but Fran, uh, I'm not kidding myself. No matter what pressure you, you, you like put on, the HSE is a bully. Mm. They're a big, bad, ugly monster that mm. nobody can beat. And even the politicians don't know what to do with them. And that's my point. There's no accountability whatsoever. Right. But do you think public pressure and public getting up and getting behind Cara, uh, that's that's what will change things. Oh, it surely. is, yeah. But it has to come from the top. So, like, she'll be back in Leinster House next Friday as part of the Ombudsman for Children's Child Talks event. Yes. And she's going to hammer them in, in her speech at that. And again, that'll be picked up by the national media. Absolutely. That's what it's going to take, is constant pressure on their doorstep up there. But what I can do is we can certainly convene a very simple meeting of the politicians. And I, I do believe they all have the appetite. I have nothing bad to say about anything because they're all, it's like a process. You have to get them to the point of saying we have to put this at the top of our list. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do. Not badmouth anyone, not in any way uh, put anyone down. It's it's to advocate to get people to finally mm. come and put this as priority But, but to be one. cynical about it, Mark, there will be votes in this. You know, there will be votes when it comes to election. This is going to be a, a hot topic, is it not? I'll, I'll, I'll see it the other way in one way. Uh, I think anyone who's not on the right side of disability is in trouble in the next election. I truly believe that. And you are right to say that, of course, it comes down to votes. But that's the way. Um, but maybe that's then uh, the way that we need to speak to them so that they understand that this is where. Because at the end of the day, if Cara goes on the Late Late Show next year and says, this government has done sweet, you know what, uh, for this... Well, just take a look at the blogs this morning, who's popular and who's not. Right. So not one single comment has been negative towards her. Um, so, like, I, I mean, she has people listening to her now. So okay. they need to listen pretty pronto. Well, you know how proud we are of you, Cara. And thank you very much indeed for, for making time for us this morning. And well done, 97%. Thank you very much. The youngest ever to sit at Junior Cert Maths uh, exam. It's been incredible. Thanks, Mark. And uh, thank you, we'll friend. take a break thank back in so just much. a moment. Thank you. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry. In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Now, we spoke to Graham King last week and uh, he told us about the desperate situation where he was asked to leave emergency accommodation. Graham, his wife and his two children, I'm sure you remember, were previously forced to sleep in a tent after finding themselves unable to secure any rental property across North Tipperary and even into Counties Clare and Limerick as well. And then the family was housed in uh, hostel accommodation in Cashel. Now, since then, we've received a statement from Tipperary County Council, but Graham. Uh, joins me now again. Graham, good morning to you. Good morning again, Fran. And good to talk to you today, Graham. Um, can I ask you, whereabouts are you now with your family? Are you still in Cashel? Um, we have until Tuesday morning, Fran, and then we're out of Cashel and we basically don't know what to do then. Um, I'm rather lost as, as to why we've um, why the emergency accommodation has been pulled out from under our feet because um, we read through the statement, which um, uh, Sheila Mockton, a girl in your newsroom, actually sent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have had no um, clue that this statement was released. So I read through it, and um, I, I was told in the statement I was offered three, uh, three properties that I turned down, which is, I, I don't want to say lies, lies, because that might leave me in a, in, in a place I don't want to be, sure. but it's yeah. misinformation. Okay, well, could, um, I I take you, could I take you through the statement, if you wouldn't mind, Graham? Yes. We, we can do. I have it here in front yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're able to follow it along with me yeah. then. Um, okay, let, let's take the authorised housing body. You were, uh, you were resident in a property by an authorised housing body from 2007 to two, uh, 2021. Why well, did you... I was resident in two properties from 2007 to 2021. Okay, yeah, and you vacated those properties voluntarily, is that right? I did, yes. Right, and again, you told us that was because at that time you moved in with some family members. Uh, yes, it was, yeah. Okay, so so the statement from the council is right where that is concerned. Uh, basically, yeah, where that, where that is, right, yes. Um, I was in the accommodations, and we did move in with family, and uh, it just didn't work out, yeah. Right, and the issue with social housing is because the level of income was, uh, as the council says, far in excess of the income limit set by the department. Um, and and uh, what about that? Do you go along with that? Yeah, we were over we were over the threshold for emergency accommodation, and the, no issue with that either. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Like I say, um, that was when we ended up living in a tent uh, for 54 days. Right. And it's not like we didn't try um, getting help from the council because, or even just making or presenting ourselves as homeless because we did. Right. And we just felt we weren't getting the help and we just went public with it. And the accommodation um, in Cashel, Graham, are you satisfied with what the council is saying that this was, it was made clear to you that this was short-term emergency accommodation? Um, that's what they're sticking by. But 
as far as we were concerned, when uh, yeah, when we were going into that emergency accommodation, we were told it was until we got somewhere, and it's not like we weren't trying. Right. Um. The, also, the the uh, authority is saying to us that you would genuinely engage with the council's hap place finder service on a weekly basis to track progress. Um, did that happen? Uh, in it did. Yes, we met every single every Tuesday, and uh, we also met in Cashel one Thursday. Uh, we any property we applied for, we put down the sheet. We followed their rules rigorously and. And and they took photographs. They have their own evidence of what we've done, and we have ours here, obviously. Um, but yeah, we we followed that. We anything we were told to do, we did. Now it says here the Hap Place Finder has been working with the family extensively since they were accommodated in emergency accommodation, and the family had indicated that they were willing to relocate anywhere in the country to secure accommodation. Was no, Fran. When we went in there, we had already been investigating other parts of the country, yes. But we were willing to move to anywhere in the county because of the way our kids are in school and the like. We couldn't move um, too far away from uh, the school. It was as simple as. But we had investigated other places in the country, and we had told them this. And they obviously took that as, well, we'll send them anywhere. But no, uh, we had told them when we got the meeting with them, uh, we would go anywhere in the county. Right, so they assumed then, is that it? They assumed, they must have, yes. I'm not going to say what they did because I I obviously don't know. But I would, would, from my point of view, I would think, yes, they did assume that because we were looking other places in the country before we... uh, we um, met them that they're willing to go anywhere. But it's a school year. We can't. Now, the the authority also saying that they're disappointed that you've refused to consider two properties and have not supplied a reasonable justification for doing so. The first was a three-bed property close to where the family are working and the other was offered by a person who contacted you uh, via social media. You turned down both those offers? <laughs> no, Fran. We were never offered those houses to begin with. Um, I'll, I'll start with the social media one first. Um, a woman in Rathkeel got in contact with me. Um, there was the possibility of moving into a house that her partner was thinking about um, renting. Now, we went down, we had a good chat with the, the guy. He's a lovely lad. And he, it, look, it's his family house. Mm. Um he didn't want to rent it out in the end. He chose to stay in the house. And I, I can't put a gun to someone's head and make them give right. us a house. And the three-bed um, property then, Graham, that was close to where man, your wife is working. Yeah, yeah. that was Turles. The three-bed property in Turles was a viewing and a viewing only. That wasn't even given to us in the end. It was given to someone else who viewed the house. Right. And would you have taken that if you... If we would have taken any of those houses. We were willing to take the one in Ratkeel, um, except for, obviously, he, the man wanted to stay in his family home. Um, the three bed in in Turles, my wife used, and there was no problem with it. In fact, it was three beds. We would have had basically enough for yes. the family. We're not turning down houses of any kind, Fran. In right. fact, these are houses. I know they say they engage with us extensively. We get we were given at least one property to view, 
And as right. much as they say, uh, that's, it was... What? So when, when they... Well, we were given. When they ex- Sorry, I beg your pardon, Greg. So when they express disappointment and say that you refuse to consider either property, you're saying that that's not it, the it, case. It was never, it was never an option to um, to turn them down, friend, because we were never offered those houses. Right. Yeah. Also, in the past seven days, you were notified of an opportunity to view a three bed on the Tipperary Offaly border. What was the yes. the story there? Uh, there was no story, friend. We viewed the house, and we're due to find out at the end of the week whether we got the house or not. And and what about this uh, line that's here saying you were unwilling to view this property? No, we weren't unwilling to view the property. Um, my wife was transferring her job from uh, Nina to Torres to be closer to Cashel. Um, and when I got the text, we were actually uh, with the number. We were actually going to another to the Torres property to view it. Um, we weren't unwilling to. Um, view the property. Obviously, we did. Um, we just kind of put it on the long finger for a day or two while everything was playing out with my wife's job and another property we were viewing. But we rang the man and met him and viewed the house. And again, now we're just waiting to be offered the house, if we're offered it at all. Were you informed by the authority, Graeme, that, uh, the, sh- that you should source accommodation during this time and the council would be willing to support you until the accommodation is ready because um, you you were telling me that really yes. you were going to be turfed out on yes. on Tuesday we have we have sourced any um any property we have used we have sourced out ourselves bar the Shinron uh, bar the awfully temporary border as it's put in this uh, we were given the number by them but mm. any other property that we have got a viewing for we have viewed ourselves we have Hmm. We we have put in the work and got it ourselves. There may have been, I I think, because of there's there's so many properties we have applied for and um and 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 presented to them that there may have been one or two properties. I don't know that they have maybe offered or not offered to us, but just offered a viewing for. But the mainstay is that um, we sourced an awful lot of these properties ourselves. I'm reading between the lines on this and reading between the lines in general, I suppose. And I suppose maybe the point that's being made here is that are you using the notion of the tent and the threat of the tent to sort of push things along in some way, Graham? Not really, Fran, no. Um, basically, it was out of the blue when um, I went into the meeting on uh, that Tuesday, as I said, and um, we were ba- by the time I came out, um, I just knew that we were being taken out of um, emergency accommodation. Now, what I said was to the woman when she literally said um, well you have to choose to get out of the emergency accommodation I've said you've put me in a very precarious position you've basically put me back in a tent um, now that was how I used it I basically used it as you know I was 54 days in the tent you took me out of a tent now you're putting me back in a tent I mean obviously it, it, it's it, <laughs> they weren't physically putting me back in a tent but what I'm saying is I was using the analogy of you've you know you took me out of one you put me back in one um they obviously ran with that as I was going to move back into a tent I'm obviously not in the middle of winter going to move back into a tent with two kids that that's 
Well, that's the, yeah, that, that's what a lot of people were wondering because I mean no. that that would be detrimental to your family no, as you can imagine. Again, yeah, Fran. Number one, I, I wouldn't anyway. But number two, I, I don't think they realise how much this equipment costs. I mean, all this equipment was donated to me. The tent that was donated to me was uh, probably about six hundred euro. Right. I I don't have six hundred euro. To right. And you, you've on donated tent. that to somebody else. And uh, I donated that to okay. uh, to someone else and everything else along just, with just it. Just two and other things, honest. if I could check with you, Graham. Uh, the the to remain in the B and B, you'll have to pay for the accommodation from your own resources. Are you are you willing to do that? I cannot afford that, friend. It's one hundred and twenty a night. You multiply that by seven. Um, that's not something I, I'm not even sure we earn. I mean, if we do earn that amount of money, we ain't, we're not eating. Um, you know, it's, it's an impossibility. Um, and I mean, we talked this out with the um, with the the hostel with the hostel owner, and she obviously she's not happy with the way um, that things are progressing and the fact that we're we're being asked to leave with nowhere to go. And she has tried, but at the end of the day, she's a business. Right. You so, know what I mean? so you can't afford need... that from your own resources, you're telling uh, me? No, and okay. 700 plus euro a week. There's no way that could be afforded. Now, you the, know what I mean? The, the, the statement also saying that the alternative, Graham, for you and your family is that you consider returning to your extended family as a some other family friend for a temporary that, period. That's an impossibility. Um, you know, and I wouldn't impose myself on my own family. And... Um, without bringing the other family into it anymore. Um, they're the reason we're homeless. So I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I go back to any... We're on our own. We got ourselves into this position a lot. Of the, look, I mean, we did get ourselves into this position by bad decision-making, some on our part, some on others. But we accept that. You know, and we're, I'm not going to impose myself on any family. Right. It's not fair. But if you, if you can't afford to continue to pay for the accommodation, you can't move in with extended families. So that that really only leaves, I suppose, it, it, the tent. It does. It does. But again, um, Fran, if you go to the last um, paragraph, odd of the um, uh, the statement, statement that says yeah. Tipperary County Council works on an interagency basis with other state bodies and we've informed the relevant authorities of our concerns in relation to Mr. King's stated plans to or to basically go back and live in a tent. That, Fran, is a thinly veiled threat. That's yeah. In, in, in the middle of winter, they add yes, to that as well. That yeah. They're basically saying, if you go near a tent, Graeme, um, we're going to work with the other agencies we have and we're going to make life healthier. Now, they had no problem with us living in a tent previous for 54 days. Um, and now they're basically telling us where we can and can't live, but they're not going to okay, provide so, any. Okay, so can I just tease that out with you for a moment? When you they can, ref- yeah. when they refer to interagency bases, are you afraid that your kids may be Yes, taken? I 100% am. And I had no problem. Like, when we were in the tent, we had all the agencies behind us. Tussle never had a problem with us. The Gardaí didn't have a problem with us. In fact, they were behind us. Where we were, we could have mm. got fined every time we put our tent out the door. Because right. our, well, it was summertime, wasn't it? It was, well, I mean, the first two weeks, yeah. But uh, after that, it was far from summer um, as regards the weather. But we had agencies behind us right. and there was no problem. So basically what the county council is saying now is, well, we're going to make sure those agencies aren't behind you anymore and 
you know, and, and that's what I take from that, just, just reading between the lines. Well, that they that's, would be that's not to, quite, that's your reading of it, but, that, you know, they're saying they work with the interagency basis, yes. yeah, and other state bodies, and we've informed yeah. the relevant authorities of our concerns in relation yeah. to, to the stated plans to return to living in a tent in the middle of winter. Yeah. So you, you're seeing that as a... A thinly veiled threat plan, yes. Right. And obviously, so, I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to return to a tent, you know, Right, so tomorrow is D-Day. Where will you go, Graeme? Fran, I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I am willing to meet with the council and I have questions as to the statement, not just um, from what's in it, because we have talked with them already about about um, what's in it. Uh, my wife discussed that with one of the, uh, the council members that dealt with the case that you know, what they said was lies. Now, I don't know what came back, but um, my other issue is that the statement was released to um, two people um, both Tip FM, which I have no problem. Right. Well, with. we don't we don't um, want to we don't want to yeah. get into anything that I can't substantiate. Oh no, 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 no I'm not going to go that way. But it's more. It, there was no headed paper. There was no. Um, I wasn't informed of it basically, okay. and there was no headed paper and no signatures on it. So I mean, okay. But in the meantime, tomorrow, like you, I mean, it ends in I terms of. I get in the of... car, friend. That's what I do. I get in the car. I drop the kids to school. And the wife goes to work or whatever, and I figure out where we go from there. Right. But, that is it. But it won't involve a tent at this point. It won't involve a tent. I, you, you can be 100% assured of that. It will not involve a tent. Okay. And the council can be as well. I can honestly put my hands up and say that. All right, Graeme, we'll, we'll follow your story, and we wish you and your, your, your family well. And uh, thanks for coming on with me this No morning. problem, Thank Fran. You. Thanks, Thank Graeme. you very Thank much. Thank you. Bye-bye to you. Now, the ongoing saga of Graeme King and his family there, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007 And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, a couple of people on to us um, questioning as to why uh, Graham King isn't uh, working. Well, for starts. He has uh, a back issue, I know. He has some health issues. And as well as that, he's looking after his uh, two children who have autism. So, I mean, that's that's why, basically. And his wife is uh, working. A uh, quick look at uh, the papers today. The Irish Indo telling us that new laws to ban the sale of vaping products to under-18s, the sale of e-cigarettes and uh, vaping products to under-18s, set to be banned. And the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, is to seek Cabinet approval to ban the sale of nicotine inhaling products uh, to those aged under 18 from early in the new year. And some weeks ago on the programme, we had... Uh, we had a lot of discussion surrounding that to the Irish Examiner and their lead story up to a 50k grant for vacant properties and grants of up 
to uh, 50,000 are to be extended to all vacant properties across the country. And that's in a bid to bring as many unoccupied buildings back into use as a family homes. And they've attempted this in the past and it's failed miserably. So you'd wonder what the story is this time. But anyway, the Minister, Darrell O'Brien, has been under pressure to expand the uh, the Cree-Connor uh, scheme which uh, up until now has provided financial supports to uh, furbish uh, vacant properties in towns and villages only. Also that story about the uh, Garda critically injured while aiding a motorist in uh, East Cork. That's on the um, uh, examiner today as well. To the Irish Daily Mail, Christmas dinners at risk after avian flu outbreak. And the fears were raised last night for this year's Christmas dinner after cases of bird flu were found on a turkey farm. And the Department of Agriculture yesterday ordered a restriction zone to be imposed around County Monaghan uh, Farm after the uh, detected cases of avian influenza. Now, I love my turkey, so I'm rather devastated to read that this morning. To the Irish Times... Calls mount for inquiry into abuse at Spirit and Schools. And again, this is a subject we discussed in great detail on the programme last week. But pressure for an inquiry into sexual abuse at schools run by the Spirit and Order is mounting with opposition politicians joining calls by victims for an inquiry. And the campaigner for victims' rights who won a landmark case which found that uh, authorities had an obligation to protect children from abuse in primary school said the state should uh, compensate victims for the abuse they suffered in the schools run by the religious orders such as the Spiritans. Also on the Times today, commercial surrogacy is to be banned in Ireland but permitted abroad in legislation likely to come before the Cabinet for approval next week. Now, just in case you've just uh, joined us, um, we kick off the programme this morning with uh, 12-year-old Cara Darmody, who was such a hit on the Late Late Show last uh, Friday night and lots of stuff coming in. Uh, about Cara. Uh, Frank, congrats to Cara. She is a very brave, wonderful girl and she'll be great having a voice like that for the future, says Anne. Uh, another listener wants to say Cara has put our government to shame to say that a 12-year-old girl has got this far in shaming the HSE. This girl will go far and well done to her parents for their huge support. Uh, Cara should go into politics because she would do far better than the idiots that are present in the Doyle. Um, Pat is in Ross Gray. He says, Fran, what an inspiration that young girl is. She's saying and doing what our politicians should be doing. The establishment are being humiliated by her words and her actions and everybody should fully support her campaign, says Pat in Ross Gray today. Somebody else telling me, and that there are currently nine rental properties on daft.ie for a Tipperary. Um, OK, lots more coming in on my discussion with uh, Graeme King as well, and I will go through that and I will bring it to you in just uh, a little while. But as I say, several of the text and WhatsApp uh, coming into us uh, wondering about uh, Graeme and why he's not working. And I explained that to you, that he has a... Um, a back issue and as well as that um, one of the parents have to look after the uh, kids and make sure that they're brought to school and brought home from school and all of that alright let me see what else is here um, I do hope that Graham is recording all conversations that he's having with all those he's negotiating with in relation to the problem he and his family are having at present 
Otherwise, it will be he says, they say situation. 1800-938-007. Text and WhatsApp 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You might hear the tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007, a free phone number to speak to Emma. Now, you might remember, uh, we spoke to a lady named Chloe Matthews a few weeks ago. Chloe suffered a stroke during the seventh week of her pregnancy with her baby boy, and Chloe was unable to work due to cognitive and physical problems from the stroke. Now, she was on illness until uh, May uh, this year, but it was cut off without notification. She joins me uh, now once again. Chloe, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you again, Chloe. Have you, you any updates for us? Not one bit. I've sent in all the stuff. Michael Arena, they've been great. They've took all the information. Um, they got onto the social welfare and they came back to me saying that they needed more bank stuff that I didn't um, give them enough information. So we got that, um, sent that to them, um, and we haven't heard anything since. I've sent my handwritten letter to them um, looking for the appeal. I've also sent a letter from my speech and language therapist, my occupation therapist, my physio, and more doctor reports um, from my neurologist and the haematologist, and they've just said that they'll get back to them in due course. It's 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 just incredible. I mean, basically, your application at this point, Chloe, is for a disability allowance, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's and what they've told me that I need to apply for now. And is the difficulty your partner's wages? Is is that playing into this? I don't think it is because he's earned very high. Um, you know, they're quite low. Yes. Um, but it's not. That's not it. They said that when they came back, when they said no to me the first time before the appeal. Um, it was due to my age, the fact that um, I have the opportunity to train in something new and that they don't think from their understanding that it'll take more than a year or less than a year before I can, I'll can. i be okay. Like They think that it'll only take a year or less than a year for me to get back to being ready to go back to work, where I'm far from it. Speaking to my different specialists and therapists, like there's a good bit of work to do before I even think about that. Um, but they're just saying that because of my age, I'll be fine, basically. But I can go and train in something else. And tell me about you right now. Um, your medication, for example, is that working for you? No, it's it's not. Like, I was, we were only speaking about that over the weekend. Me and my partner, like, I'm going to have to ring the doctor and up my antidepressants because the stress levels and the anxiety and the low moods have gotten worse. So the dose I'm on is clearly not working anymore. Um, my headaches have increased again. Like there's not a day that I don't have headaches. I'm waiting to go back to see my neurologist um, in December. 
um, to see what he says. The headaches have just gotten worse again. Like I'm having to take note of a scale of one to ten how bad they are every day, um, and it's just down to stress and lack of sleep. And I'm not sleeping because I'm stressed. Um, and then I have the kids coming into me during the night because they're cold because the house is cold. Um, it's just one thing after the other at the moment, and it's one. If we had the money, it would be one less thing we'd have to stress about. We could heat the house. We could. The house now is covered in mould because it's an old house. It needs to be cleaned and it needs to be killed. The mould needs to be killed off, and we can't afford to do that right now. All we're doing is just using cloths and washing up liquid to try and wipe it off as much as we can. But like that, Ava was in this morning at half two, saying her bed was cold and. The wall behind her is covered in mold, so I have to wash that out and off now. And the house is full of dehumidifiers. I went to put on clothes this morning as well, and they stink of mold and just dampness. I I was particularly struck by something you said to Emma, which is that it's gone to the point where you're nearly begging at this point. That oh, is, it is. That yeah, is terrible. It, it literally is begging. Like it's it's to a point now where they've it's been. It's been five to six weeks since the appeal. It's nearly five months since the application went in. It's like they're pushing it out and pushing it out to nearly force me back to work when I'm not ready. Mentally, physically, I'm not ready. And if anything, it would set me back miles if I were to go back now because the pressure I'd be under. And it's like they're literally trying to force me back into work and just let me suffer in silence. And, I mean, I know from talking to you, Chloe, that if you were able to work, you'd be back to work in the flash. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. No, of course I would. I, yeah. that's, of course that's what we want. Like, that is the end goal, to get back and be able to provide for my family myself, like. But I know that if I do that, I will go 100 steps backwards. And even right now, it's next to impossible to focus on getting better, like, you know, to do getting up in the morning having to do my physiotherapy or do my occupational therapy or my speech and language stuff. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation. I'm drained, exhausted from it. And I can, it's, it's getting to a point where it's getting upsetting. I can't focus on the positive side of it. I can't just look to the future and improve things. And I it constantly, the money side of it is such a weight down. So if we could just, like, it's not that we're looking for hundreds upon hundreds a week. It's just something just to cover the bills and take the load off and take the pressure off. Just so that we can, I can focus on my rehabilitation and get better. And, you know, just because, like, I'm still waiting for um, further support from the neurological community rehab team in Limerick for counselling. And they've sent me further then to ABI and head, headway for more support. So it's not as if I'm going to stop anytime soon. Like with this, it's hard to tell. Like they can't even put a time frame on it when I'll be fit to go back to work or when I'm okay. So they can't even understand how people sitting in an office or in a department that aren't doctors, aren't specialists, aren't therapists can say that it's going to take less than a year when they don't. They can't even make that call, and well, they are with me every day. And well, they they have all the reports from these people, though. They have they? everything. Yeah, they yeah. have everything. They've all been great. Give me letters and give me support. Like they have, they have everything. The social worker have everything. There's nothing they don't have. So we're 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 in a situation now. Things are going to get colder over the next uh, few weeks. We're heading towards. Christmas as well. I mean, is, is that a particular dread uh, for you, Chloe? Oh, it's terrifying. Like, if you look at the sand at my back door now, there's not a bit 
of it that isn't covered in mould. Now we're lucky in the sense that we have the stove, which is a back boiler, but that also costs money to run. The price of coal, timber, yeah. turf, whatever it is, and like that, we don't want to be burning something, you know, that's going to affect us as well. So it's trying to burn as clean as possible. But it's just, it's getting harder and harder to heat the house. And it's an old, it's an old cottage with really thick walls. So it's cold. Like if you put on the heating and for an hour, two hours, and once it's off, that's it, the heat has gone out of the house. Where with the stove, it'll last for hours. But like that, during the middle of the night, three, four o'clock in the morning, it's freezing. Like when Damien's getting up for work now at half four, he's like, it's it's so cold. The house is, is freezing. You can nearly see your breath in it. So no wonder the kids are waking up. Absolutely. And I mean, eventually there'll be colds and flus and all sorts of stuff out of, out of that. Yeah. It, it's very frustrating, Chloe, when you're in the middle of all of this red tape, isn't it? Yeah, it's even disheartening now. It's like, what more do you want to happen? Like, yeah. And you said like, the politicians have tried where this they is They have. They've, they've put in like that. They've put in the letters. They've sent the letters. They've sent the emails. Even Sean Ryan, my local, local councillor, got on to them as well. Um, and they just sent him back saying that I'll be notified in due course. It's like if I hear due course once more, it's going to be imprinted on me. That's all they keep saying. And I also rang the minister um, for social protection. I rang her offices mm. and they gave me the number then for the Dublin offices. Um, so I was speaking to a lady there and she took all my information and she said she'll look into it and get an update for me. That was last, that was Friday. So hopefully I hear something this week, but it's just, it's like now we're coming up to Christmas and the prices and everything going up. Um, and what happens where your prescriptions are concerned, for example? I mean, I presume you, you don't have a medical card for that, do no. you? That just has to be paid. We just have to budget that. Uh, we have to budget that every week for every month, and that's forty euro a month that we don't we don't actually have. But it comes down to whether I need it or I don't, and I do need it. Yeah, I, so, d- I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, a young woman like you with a young family and all—it shouldn't be like this, you know. It shouldn't be this hard. Like it really shouldn't. Like that. It's not as if I'm looking for thousands you know it's just something just to cover their bill cover our bills and cover the shopping like you know the food shop the electricity you know it's not for fun you know it's just literally just to cover our loans our bills to live yeah and uh, of course you know like cost of living gone through the roof cost of energy gone through the all of all of these things adding to your your issues, I suppose. Oh, it is. Like, every week that we go in to do our shopping, like, the it's getting more expensive. Like, a few months ago, it was €80 Euro for the four of us. I know now Robbie was on formula or whatever, but we're all eating food, normal food now. And, like, that's, it, last week, it was €150. Euro. Like, it's a big jump as well. And it's not as if they, we eat a hell of a lot or we get a hell of a lot. It's just everything has gone up. The electricity has increased. It's just our whole life is revolved around money. I'm so sick of like everything we do. We have to like sit down and the night before, if we want to do something, just be like, right, do we have money for this? Do we have money for that? Will we be okay this week? It's literally just a week to week basis. And like, there's so many out there, people the same. It's a week to week, if not a day to day. And like, why are we all suffering when there's no need to? Like, there's money there in the country. There is. They're able to pay for everything else and everyone else when they need it, you know. And there's people there that don't even face these problems. And is that particularly frustrating 
for you when you see that other people can get um, funding and get looked after and it is like it's not, it's not even frustrating it's so disheartening it's, it's just like I've been through so much now we've all been through so much as a family and it's like what more do we what, what more actually has to happen like <clears throat> my mum there like only for my mum and Damien's parents like we'd be lost we'd actually be lost like it's it's so hard for us because we're very independent, the two of us, and we like to do things ourselves. We're sure. the worst in the world for asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. But to go back, like, with our own kids and have to ask our parents to help us pay our bills, it's it's not a nice feeling, you know. It's having. Well, it's, it's probably like undignified for you, Chloe, you know. It is. Yeah. It really is. Like, and, like, we know we're stressed and we worry, but they're also, as well, it's, it's putting stress in them because they can see how hard. We're, you know, how hard we're doing, but like, it would be so nice just to focus on the positives at the moment that I am doing little improvements, but it's not. It's like we're just stuck at a standstill right now, and I'm, I'm not improving because this is just taking over our whole lives, and I can't focus on getting better. I can't focus on getting back to some bit of normality. You know, like there's a lot of things I can't do, and I have to adjust to that now that I'm not the same person I was before the stroke which is I'm not a normal 25-year-old girl now anymore that I can do. I'm full of beans and I can, you know, do two days of, like, activities or events or, like, parties or, you know, kids' parties even. Like, I have to divide up my activities so that I have a day of a break. I have to take breaks during the day. I It's just, like, I have so much going on and I have so much to wrap my head around even mentally, like, I'm waiting for the counselling because if I actually stop and think about what has actually happened and what we actually have been through, like, I'll, I'll crumble because it's it's just been so much and I just wish we didn't have to worry about this small little thing that's taken over our whole life. I wish we could just enjoy our life. We're not, like, we're not looking to do, like, go on foreign holidays or nothing. It's yeah. literally just to enjoy life comfortably without having the stress every morning of waking up, do we have enough money for this or do we have enough money for that, sir? And coming to terms, as you say, as a 25-year-old young woman with a young family, coming to terms with your illness and coming to terms with, you know, that your life has probably changed going forward as well. Um, how, how difficult is that, Chloe, even without financial worries? It's, it's, it's not great. Like it's, I try not to think about it because I know that the kids need me and I need to be kind of on point. I need to have the energy. I need to make sure and take my break so that I have the energy to get the kids dinner that I can stand making the dinner without my eyes hanging out of my head. Yeah. Um, like that, I don't, I try not to think about it because I thought if I did, I'd probably cry and never stop crying. Um, cause I'm not, I'm not the same person I was. Like I have to, to rethink everything I do. I have to set alarms for everything. We have sticky notes for everything. I have to write everything down. Like even now for today, like I am sitting in front of a page with all the notes because otherwise I'd end up saying the wrong thing, the wrong word because I can't think of the words. And even after talking to you now for the rest of the day, I'll be drained because I've had to talk, I've had to think, I've had to word find in my head and say the right thing and as well as being emotional, I will be drained after this conversation. And even yesterday, we had an anniversary for my uncle. And like that last night, I came home and I was drained because I was having to talk with family and all that. And it's just those little things take so much out of me. And I have to be careful on what I plan and what I organise. Because everything 
has to be like that. I have to schedule everything. I have to write everything on a calendar to make sure that my days aren't busy. Um, otherwise, I forget like that. I have alarms to set yeah. to even feed our kids because like that, it will go out of my head. I have to set alarms on my phone for the oven, even the washing machine. Like there's so much going on in my head, and I can't process things anymore. Where before I could organise. Oh, I could organise anything. I could organise a full day of, if I was at work, like 30 kids of doing this, that and the other. Where now the thought of that, like I can, I can't even organise my own day with two kids at home, let alone 30 other kids that aren't, that are my responsibility, yeah. but that aren't my kids, you know, they're even and extra on, responsibility. And on top of all of that then, Chloe, you're, you're, you're fighting the system, which is yeah. just, you know. Yeah. Chloe, uh, w- can we put it out there now? Somebody listening to us today surely should be able to help you. I hope um, so. I really, know. I, I just don't know what more. Like I've put it, I've shared our last interview on Facebook. I've tagged all the relevant people on it. I've rang everybody. Like everyone, even down to the the TVs. Like like the the social aren't even giving them the information. They're not even doing anything. It's just like oh, it'll be due course. And even Michael Larry's office um, applied for the the work and family payment for Damien. And even that's going to be another few weeks because apparently there's such a backlog. Chloe, oh. we wish you well. And I'm so sorry that this is going to drain you so much. But at least we're putting the story out yeah. there now. And, yeah. you know, we're looking for yeah. some help, where, immediate help where this is uh, concerned. Yeah. Chloe, I wish you and your family the very best. Thank you for Thank coming you. on with me. Thank you, friend, for listening. Like that, you're another... Ask it to us to be able to get our, my get my voice out there, and hopefully, like that, one of the listeners there will have something that will help. Okay. What we can do. Well, already we have some some stuff coming into us, and we'll certainly uh, chat to you about that off air. Chloe, thank you so much. Thank you, and good thank morning you so to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye bye. Now that's uh, Chloe. With her story, which is just, you know, I mean, that's so sad. A young woman, 25 years of age, uh, pregnancy. Um, She had a stroke on the seventh week of her pregnancy. And, uh, you know, it's it's so tough, isn't it? It's just so tough. 083 Tip-FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Oh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. A lot of advice uh, coming in for Chloe and uh, Emma is going to get back to uh, Chloe and pass on some of the uh, correspondence indeed to her as well. And we wish her and her family the very, very best. Now, many of you may have seen that video that went uh, viral over the weekend. It involved two men fist fighting in the middle of the street on the square in Thurles. Now, traffic was held up for a time until the Gardaí arrived on the scene. Now, as we understand it, 
No arrests were made in connection with the incident, but it does raise the question, is it an indication of the growing levels of antisocial behaviour on our streets? Now, we have a post on our uh, Facebook this morning. We'd love to hear your views on it. Now, one of the people who has uh, made comment is uh, Carol Clancy, who is a communist uh, with the Nationalists and a frequent uh, contributor to the show as well. And Carol joins me now. Good morning to you, Carol. Hey, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. The video was really shocking, uh, Carl, and I know that, uh, you know, th- this happened in uh, broad daylight uh, on a main thoroughfare in, in Thurles. What, what do you make of this? Well, it, it, you, you are right in that it is an indication of something else. It's not just an isolated thing. It's an indication of how society is under pressure and how society is feeling that pressure and a growing sense of desperation. When, when you add that then to any man, woman, adult in the country who is told there won't be consequences for your actions, add that to desperation. And what do you get? You get a powder keg waiting to go off because the guards are not in a position to uh, enforce the, the law maybe the way it should be in that we're not getting convictions, we're not getting uh, deterrence, we're not getting fines, we're not getting asbos for this kind of antisocial behaviour. And the problem with that is there's no deterrent then, so why would I stop? I'll do what I want, thanks very much. Am I overstating it to say that, you know, that there's been a bit of a breakdown in in society then? Is is that an overstatement, do you think? No, no, I would would say that that society is on the the brink of a proper breakdown, a proper nervous breakdown. If society was a person, we'd be medicating them for the simple reason that our society is under pressure and we're all under pressure. Every day there's some new financial pressure, social pressure. There's pressure to conform, pressure to perform, pressure to be a particular way or to look a particular way or to dress or to drive the right car. Everybody's under pressure. The problem that you have is that nobody's found a way to relieve that pressure and that powder keg is only going to get worse. That's very interesting, Carol. We're also being bombarded all of the time, and I have to hold my own hand up here a lot of the time, with, with negative news. I mean, whether it's what's happening in Ukraine or it's what happened during COVID or it's vaccination and it's concerns around all of these things as well. Is that playing into this in some way? Oh, yeah. You know, bad news is better than good news. And we pay more attention to bad news than we do to good news because good news can't do us any harm whereas bad news definitely can. So any, we're, our brains are wired to look for negatives. Our brains are wired to see a negative first and then say, that's a threat. What am I going to do about it? So we pay more attention to bad stuff. And yes, at the moment, the bad news are always the good news. Even good news stories are hard to come by. And when you get one... It's it's a, a rarity in the midst of everything else that's going on. 
It's interesting. And, of course, the incident that we're making reference to, if there wasn't videoing of that and social media, um, probably 20 or 30 people might have witnessed it. But, of course, it's gone viral now, and thousands and thousands of people are aware of this, and they see it. Well, uh, I look at that, and I correlate that kind of violence with the news report the other day of the two teams on a GAA pitch going at it. Full team. The growing numbers of players assaulting referees, mm. spectators assaulting referees, yeah. players assaulting spectators. And why? Because everybody's kind of gotten a little bit desperate and everything's a little bit fraught and that has to come out somewhere. There's frustration at a basic level in our society and it's going to come out somewhere. Where I really notice it, Carol, is on the roads with motorists' attitude to each other. All the time. All the time. Now, my kids would often say to me, why don't you get road rage? I say, I used to. I used to get road rage all the time. Mm. But what I try to do these days is remember that the poor bugger who has just made a poor manoeuvre, cut me off, done whatever, not let me out, ran a red light, they might just be having the same frustration in their day as everybody else. So I've got to try my best to understand that. But it's not easy. And it is on the roads. It is getting worse. People are becoming more self-centered on the roads. But it's not just on the roads. They're becoming self-centered everywhere. Because we're all taught through mostly social media that we have to put ourselves first. That we have to make sure we're okay. The, the other fear that I have is, and it, certainly from the correspondence we have with this show, Carol, it seems to be evident that, you know, people are becoming divided as well. And I'm particularly thinking of the refugees coming into this country that, you know, people who are struggling themselves now saying that's all fine and very well. And of course, we welcome people and of course, we'll do what we can. But what about our own? And that becomes dangerous, I think. Uh, most certainly. You know, you, you give any um, society flashpoints when they're under pressure and they're going to take them. They're, they're, they really don't have a choice because, yes, we do need to look after our own before we look after anybody else. Basic uh, flight etiquette. When you get on board a flight, you are told, in the event of an emergency, put on your own life jacket first. Why? Because you can't help anybody else if you haven't helped yourself. Wow, that's a very good point. That's a very profound point. I hadn't thought about it like that at all. If we don't help our own society to be better, how do we invite people into it? Yeah. So, there's a way of thinking for a... there's a thought. Yeah, you're going to leave <laughs> that thought with me for sure for, for the day. Uh, can I finally just put something to you that there's quite a few people onto us and they're telling us who these people were or what their background was or one thing or another. Does that matter? Um, well, like I said, Fran, if you tell any group of people that there will be no consequences to their actions and give them a carte blanche because there's a roulette system in our courts, it's basically in the revolving door, out again. Then why would they change? Why would they Why would they bother? They don't see the law as something that pertains to them. So why would they bother with it? 
and, and, and that's whatever background somebody comes uh, from. Well, that is whatever background. It just happens to be more true of certain people than other people because some people will have a, a, a social conscience and feel like they're part of a society and some people, for whatever reason, don't. They're out for themselves and themselves only. Carl, it was a real pleasure to talk to you today and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed, Carl. Thank Not you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye, That's a Carl Clancy and Carl writes an excellent piece in The Nationalist every single week as well and a frequent contributor to the show here too. 1800-938-007 If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Time for our weekly, even global politics segment. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by uh, politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Good to talk to you today. COP27, I suppose, um, that's the big story at the moment, isn't it? And you pose the question yourself. I mean, is it a talking shop or is there anything substantive about it at all, Thomas? I think that's what many people people are asking, is it a talking shop? Like, obviously, over the past week, we've had various world leaders converging. Our own Micheál Martin was there last week. President Biden also there. All of them making promises. And it has to be said, was looking at the statistics and there is no doubt that action is being taken on climate change. The question is, is it sufficient? Is Mm. it sufficient to limit the degree of warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is... The state admission, that was what was agreed with the Paris Agreement in, uh, in 2015 to limit the global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. So when we talk about pre-industrial levels, we look back to the year in or around 1850. Uh, that's when the world started warming rapidly. Now, global temperatures have already increased by around 1.2, 1.3 degrees. So we're we're heading towards that 1.5 threshold. And many have asked, is it attainable? Is it attainable to limit warning to that level? And should we maybe almost moderate our goals slightly? Now, world leaders have been pretty unambiguous. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, they, really want, they really want to achieve their objective. But it looks increasingly difficult, given given the scale of global mm. warming and given what we're witnessing across the planet. And, and very few countries are coming up with the goods, really. Very few countries are, are coming up is with the goods. Is it 29 countries, I think, is it? Uh, th- that is all, yeah, yeah. Th- that is all. And at the same time, you have the global south, uh, which is obviously growing increasingly frustrated. They are on the, the frontier when it comes to, chi- uh, to climate change. You take a country like the Maldives, uh, a lot of their sovereign territory is underwater, it being an island state. If temperatures continue to rise, if sea levels continue to rise, up to, I think, 70% of their territory could be flooded, essentially. So a disastrous scenario for our, for so, them. So just for clarity then, Thomas, I mean, what are the aims? What, what are we looking for? Yeah, so we have the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is essentially the UN's climate watchdog, if, if you like. 
And they have recommended a series of measures to limit global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now, countries, as I've said, have taken steps forward. If we look at a couple of the, the, the major polluters, China remains the world's biggest emitter of carbon and, and by a considerable distance as well. At the same time, it accounts for a third of all global solar power. It's the world's biggest producer of wind energy. So I'm not defending China, but at least they are taking steps. Mm. The thing is, its reliance on coal is unsustainably high. According to the, the IEA, which is the International Atomic Energy Agency, it needs to cut its demand for coal by a staggering 80% wow. by 2060. In and order of course, to coal is the real baddie. Coal it? is the real baddie. Yeah. It's one of the fossil fuels. It's, you know, it's extreme... It, causes extreme pollution. Now, we talk about China there, but the US mm. is still the largest per capita, per person emitter of carbon. It derives 80% of its energy from oil and gas still. So a huge reliance on fossil fuels. Now, President Biden, in fairness to him, is really attempting to address the situation. In August, he signed a a sweeping, it was a $700 billion bill, around 390 of which was directly committed to climate action, climate funding. That is, by any measure, an historic investment. I think the biggest investment in climate action in US history. His, his agenda, however, now we should say the midterms have gone favourably enough for President Biden, yeah. but the Republicans will still take control of the House and will be able to dictate the agenda. Mm to a certain And they're degree. still sceptical, aren't and they? And many of them are still sceptical. And we might talk about Trump a little bit later in yeah. the problem. Trump, obviously, a huge sceptic of climate change, withdrew from, from the Paris Agreement. Interesting to see whether his potential challenger, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, is similarly sceptical or whether he takes a a more progressive approach to that issue. But that's, that's a story for another day. Yeah, I love his line, though. Uh, this is where woke comes to die. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he comes out with these. Yeah, does, does yeah. he does. But as you say, that's a whole other story. Where, where Europe is concerned, then, I mean, we still have big uh, carbon emitters, haven't we, we? We do. Germany, Italy, Poland. Germany, of course, probably surprising, but it is the industrial heartland of the EU. It does, and it has that reliance on Russian oil and Russian gas, which we've seen. Now, the fact that the continent of Europe has been forced to pivot away from Russia is probably a good thing in the long term because I suppose it has accelerated the knee or the, the move towards more sustainable energy. So that is taking place at a European level. A lot of European countries leading the way. Ireland, it has to be said, and Taoiseach Michael Martin addressed the summit last weekend, or last week rather, he outlined a number of measures. He said, you know, substantive climate action, what does it mean? It means the delivery of offshore wind targets, further measures on biodiversity, environmentally friendly, friendly farming, retrofitting of housing and building, which buildings, which is a big one. But at the same time, we have the second highest per person emissions in the EU. If every country, Fran, emitted like we did, the world would already have warmed by three degrees. So twice wow. the recommended level. So that is, that's astonishing. That's amazing indeed. If I could just uh, interrupt you for a moment because some uh, breaking news, very sad news indeed, that cervical cancer campaigner Vicky Phelan has uh, passed away. So it's very sad news. She died in the early hours of this morning at Milford Hospice 
in uh, Limerick and of course she was diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer back in uh, 2014 and spoke to us on the show Yeah, it's uh, sad to hear that a brilliant, very, very you know, a brilliant news, campaigner yeah. and, and I think the whole country will be touched by that yeah. Absolutely, for sure We'll be speaking to our solicitor uh, Tipperary's uh, Keanu O'Carroll as well just, just after 11 o'clock this morning um, Just uh, finally on that new technologies may offer some yeah, This was This was very interesting I read this in The Economist last week the world is embracing new technologies and new technologies are unequivocally going to help in the fight against climate change. One such example is something called solar geoengineering. Now, what does it do? It sounds very ambitious, but it's a complex new technology which seeks to reduce the amount of sunlight that reaches the Earth's surface by injecting particles into the, into the stratosphere, into the atmosphere. Those particles would then reflect sunlight away from the planet, away from the Earth's surface. Now, it sounds incredibly futuristic, wow. incredibly ambitious. But, but therefore cooling the planet, is that They're it? essentially, yeah. So you, you limit the amount of direct sunlight which hits the surface. The planet is obviously going to cool. It's not going to warm to the same extent. So all those avenues are now being explored because we have to pull out every stop. And that's the kind of measures that governments and agencies are now looking at. Interesting. Let's have a look at uh, Turkey. And uh, just before we start with this, I suppose it's important to point out that atrocity that happened in Istanbul. Yeah, an appalling attack yesterday. I think 25 people killed yeah. and, and Recep Tayyip Erdogan, their president, has come out strongly, strongly against it, condemned it as a, a probable terrorist act. So obviously, you know, our thoughts would with the people That's who have died in that. Absolutely, for sure. The, the president's role as a mediator then. Yeah, very interesting. And and people will have been very interested to see where Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the, the, uh, the Turkish president, has positioned himself in the context of the Russia-Ukraine war. He seems to have evolved into a kind of mediator, a go-between between both countries. Now, it should be said, Erdogan himself is, is often described as a, a quasi-dictator, if you like. He became president in 2014 and since then he has kind of steadily eroded various aspects of Turkey's democratic institutions. He silenced opposition critics, he subdued the media and he'll seek another term as president in June 2023, so in a couple of months' time. And he will be challenged, but it looks at this stage that he's probably likely to prevail and hold on to the presidency. So Turkey, a country of, of over 85 million people, we know its history, it's a land of rich culture, heritage, mm. home to various ancient civilizations, and then fell under the control subsequently of the Ottomans. Now, after World War II, the leadership of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, he was kind of the founding father of Turkey, as we know it today, and he, he established a secular independent republic. Now, that contrasts to the Turkey that we know today, under Tayyip Erdogan, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, which is, I suppose, aligned very much with kind of a, a nationalist brand of politics. He, he uses fiery rhetoric, a strong allegiance to Islam, and a kind of a, a showman, nationalist politician, a populist, if you like. Very interesting and intriguing character as well. Mm. Formerly the mayor of Istanbul, became Prime Minister, uh, founded his own political party, the Justice and Development Party in 2001, and then became Prime Minister in 2002. Wow. 
Yeah, well, so a really a meteoric yeah. rise up the ranks. Absolutely. Um, it was interesting this morning I, I heard um, the, the, when when the bomb went off in Istanbul, immediately they shut down social media. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that, I think, is probably indicative of Erdogan, Erdogan's style of leadership. He has done everything to, I think, consolidate his own grip on power. In 2017, he actually transformed Turkey's parliamentary democratic system. So they had a, a system somewhat akin to, to what yes. we have here in Ireland, a parliament and a prime minister. He transformed it into a presidential structure, like we'll say the US, like France. And he obviously became president. And that was a direct act at consolidating his own grip yes. on power. But does he have the credentials to be a mediator between Russia and Ukraine? Well, this is the very interesting thing. Now, Turkey is a member of NATO and Turkey has the second yeah. largest military in NATO behind the United States in terms of military personnel. Its infrastructure, its military infrastructure may not be quite as sophisticated, but in terms of sheer numbers and sheer firepower, it is the second largest, uh, it has the second largest military in NATO. The thing is, Turkey also has a reliance on Russia. Vladimir Putin and Recep Tayyip Erdogan need each other. Trade ties, since the, the onset of the war in Ukraine, trade ties between Turkey and Russia have boomed. I was looking at some of the statistics prior to coming on. They're bound together by economics, essentially. Imports to Turkey from Russia surged by 86% year on year in October. Turkish imports to Russia almost doubled. Wow. So that is, you know, that captures the degree of dependency between yeah. both countries. And then you have the kind of military dynamic because Turkey has cooperated with Russia in various regional conflicts, the war in Syria, conflicts in, in Libya and the Caucasus. They fought side by side with Russian troops. So there is a military alliance between both countries as well. And yet... Uh, Erdogan has prob has kind of condemned the Russian invasion to a certain extent. I think really what it points to is that Turkey is its own independent power. It, it, it tried to join the EU several years ago. Its attempts were largely unsuccessful. And since then, it has kind of gone its own way. So Erdogan is his own man. Turkey is its own country. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my head around a NATO country that has such strong ties with Russia. Yeah, I think... To a certain extent, it may be to do with its location. Yeah, Remember, yeah. Turkey is kind of, its location, it's a gateway to the Middle East, yes. a gateway to and it's, Asia. it's always been, hasn't and it? And it has always yeah. been, down through history. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is called a democracy, but it's an imperfect democracy. The Economist Index ranks at 103 out of 167 countries in terms of their own democracy index. So... You know that is that is not a glowing endorsement of of, of Turkey's democratic credentials by any measure for at all. Sure, indeed. Let's just look at the World Cup for a few moments before we we go. And of course, how controversial is Qatar? And uh, will you tell us about the country? Yeah, I mean it, it's fascinating, really. I mean people people might be asking, look, why is this World Cup so controversial? Why has there been so much of a furore over it? And in essence, there are two main reasons. It has been widely criticised for its or for its attitude towards same-sex relationships, its ban on same-sex uh, same-sex marriage and the like, 
and as well as that, its treatment of migrant workers. But I mean, the story goes back further. It was chosen as the host nation for 2022 way back in 2010, won a ballot of, of FIFA's executive members. It was later accused of paying FIFA officials an estimated $3.7 billion wow. in bribes. Now, it was subsequently cleared of those charges, but, you know, I, I have my own doubts as to how thorough that investigation actually was. But as for the country itself, a population of just over 2.9 million people it's located on a small peninsula which stretches out into the Persian Gulf across from Iran, borders Saudi Arabia. So in terms of geographical area, it's only the size of Wexford. Wow, I didn't realise that. Yeah, so and this small. is this is the astonishing thing. Most of the stadia for this World Cup are situated in and around the capital, Doha. But to give you an idea of how urbanised the country actually is, 99% of Qat- Qataris, Qatari people, live in a city. They either live in Doha, its environs, or some other um, some other uh, urban suburb mm. of that. 85% of the workforce is actually foreign, so you have a lot of migrant workers there. 25% of it is female. In terms of the governance structure, Qatar, like many Middle Eastern states, is a hereditary monarchy. So like Saudi Arabia, like like other places across the Middle East, it is ruled by a royal family, at the head of which is Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani. So Sheikh Al Thani, he inherited the crown from his yes. father in and 2013. Is there a religious uh, dynamic? There, there is well. an extremely religious dynamic. I mean, it should be said, it's quite a sophisticated and advanced economy. Anyone who's been to Doha will tell you the infrastructure is incredible, uh, you know, very modern and sophisticated. But at the same time, it adheres to what is known as Sharia law, which is kind of... Muslim law, essentially. So same-sex relationships are prohibited. Punishments include fines, prison sentences of up to seven years, and wait for this, even death by stoning. That is still on the statute books there. Alcohol? Alcohol still restricted in public places. Now, it will be available during the World Cup, but there will still be, like it has to be available. Some of the the major sponsors are, are alcohol companies. But there will still be, I suppose, restrictions on where it can be taken and where it can be drank. So, it, you know, there is a very interesting dynamic here. And Qatar's approach to human rights then, that has been a massive bone of contention mm. in the lead up to this tournament. So why would they want this? Is this some sort of publicity? Is this marketing? Well, this goes to the heart of the term. People will have heard the term sports washing. And I suppose Qatar 2022 is the quintessential example of sports washing, which is the use of sport to enhance a country's image and kind of furnish its reputation on the world stage. Now, instances of sports washing practically ubiquitous nowadays, particularly in the context of soccer. Paris Saint-Germain, the uh, the Parisian football club, is actually already owned by Qatar. Saudi Arabia, or, or, sorry, Abu Dhabi owns Manchester City. Newcastle United, the club which I've supported for years, was recently taken over by Saudi Arabia. I'm now a reluctant supporter, <laughs> albeit they're doing very well. So, I mean, this yes. is what sports washing is. It's it is, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's incredible. All, all this glossy advertising for Qatar as well. I mean, it's painting this sort of uh, idyllic uh, It certainly picture, is. And, yeah. you know, it's trying to, as I say, furnish its reputation on the global stage. And it would probably do that. I mean, people have talked about protesting, about not watching the football, but it will probably get the usual record audiences. 
people will tune in and uh, you know we saw it with Russia w- four years ago we only have a moment left so just quickly what to look out for yeah I'll just focus on the G20 summit because yeah. a notification just came up on my phone there President Biden and President Xi Jinping have just shaken hands which is a significant development the G20 of course is the group of 20 of the most advanced and influential countries they're currently meeting in Indonesia on the Indonesian island of Bali over the next few days and it will be a fascinating summit in terms of who meets who obviously Biden has met Xi now what conversations are had and how it dictates global politics for the next the next couple of months Very good Thomas and of course all eyes will be on Mr Trump as well Yeah tomorrow uh, you yeah. can expect a presidential bid from him he might be damaged but he's not going away Yeah that's for certain Thomas is always a pleasure Thank you very much Thank you Thank Fran. you Good morning to you Just to repeat again that breaking news the cervical cancer campaigner Vicky Phelan has passed away and we'll be talking to her solicitor that's uh, Tipperary's Keanu O'Carroll just uh, after the news at 11 News coming up Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. All right, it's time to do this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. All right, let's go to the phone lines, and Lucy is in Nina. Good morning to you, Lucy. I'm very well indeed. How are you this morning? Oh, great. Very good indeed. Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Ah, well, I'm <laughs> delighted one of us is anyway, Lucy. It's good <laughs> good stuff altogether. Do you feel like a winner this morning? Do you feel you're going to, to do uh, the business here? 50-50. 50-50. Well, that'll, that's good enough for me. Now, you know the story. At this stage, you have to pick a number between 1 and 90, and you have to match 3. Now, some of our prizes are gone. Uh, if okay. you if you manage to pick a number and uh, the prize is gone, we'll give you another opportunity. If it doesn't work out at that point, we have to say goodbye. Is that all okay with okay. you? Yeah, all right. Okay. So, a number, please, between 1 and 90, Lucy. Um, may I have number 3, please? Number 3, please. Let's have a look. Number three is a Remington Heritage foil shaver. It's valued at €129. So, another box for me. Um, I'll go number 16. Number 16 is gone, so I'll give you another another opportunity. Um, 60. 60. Let's open 60 and let's see what we've got there. And I'm afraid number 60 is gone as well, Lucy. So I have to say goodbye to you, but thank you so much for coming on with us today. Do you want to say hello to somebody? um, Yeah, can I say get well soon to Mary um, Kevin from Turles there, please? Of course you can indeed, Lucy. Do play again, won't you? Will do. Oh, definitely.
Lucy. All right. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Dolce. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. That's Lucy, who's in Nina today and sounding very chirpy as well. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurlis. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Tip FM. And of course, you'll have an opportunity to play Match 3 uh, right throughout the day, and we'll give you another shot at it tomorrow. Indeed, those prizes are absolutely fantastic, and it's in association with our good friends at Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical as well. 1800 uh, Barb says, My heart is broken and upset to hear the news of the passing of uh, Vicky Phelan, and my sincere condolences to her family and many friends. I will never forget or forgive those responsible for her and all the other women affected by the cervical cancer scandal some of whom have passed away already and many more still waiting their death sentence because of the negligence of her health system and her government trying to hide the fact that this was indeed a scandal and I believe they are responsible for these deaths of these beautiful women only for Vicky we may never have known about it in the first place says Barb who's on to us uh, today 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. All right, it's time to, to talk sport and uh, we're going to Paul, who's in our Nina office. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Fran. How are you? And good to talk to you today, Paul. Can we go with the GAA first of all? And what a special night for Clonmel Commercials. Yeah, under the lights in uh, Parky Cueve on Saturday, Fran, it was uh, it was great to be there. Um, it was just, uh, a, as you said, a very special night. They had a massive victory, Munster Senior Football Quarterfinal. They bet Nemo Rangers 2.15 to 111. Uh, they came into the game as 4-1 to one underdogs, um, showing in a two-horse race. That's uh, big enough odds, and they, they actually dominated the game for, for most parts. Uh, goals from Sean O'Connor and Coleman Kendi, um, and, but there was performances all over the pitch, um, literally 1-29 to 29 or 30, whoever came off the bench. Um, it was just a really special occasion, and uh, Charlie McGeever was on co-commentary, and he was just buzzing beside me the, the, the whole um, way along, mm-hmm. and... Um, just a, a brilliant win for them, you know, Nemo Rangers. Um, they'd been into, I think, 21 provincial campaigns in Munster and they'd won 17 of them. So they had unbelievable pedigree in the competition. So to go down to Cork and beat them was just uh, was huge for commercials. Um, so they're now going to play Limerick's Newcastle West in the semi-final. That's on November 27th. That's going to be at a, a Tipperary venue. So I'd imagine Semple Stadium, but uh, no confirmation on that yet. Uh, but they weren't the only... Um, Tipperary team to do well in football over the weekend. Thurlis Sarnsfields had a great win in the Munster Junior Football quarterfinal. They defeated Clareside Liz Canner in Milltown Malbe. Uh, final score there, 1-9 to 7 points. And they're going to take on the Cork champions on November 26th. Um, elsewhere then in Gaelic Games, Fran, around the week, uh, earlier in the week, High School Clonmel had a big win in the Kearney Vwiri, so that's the under-19A football uh, competition. They defeated Cork City side Clóster Crease 3 on Wednesday. Um, they would have been big underdogs taking on the Cork City School, but they won 2-12 to 7 points. Goals from uh, Callum McFadden and Senan Butler there. And then elsewhere in Gaelic Games over the last week, Kappa White Gales are into the under-19B hurling final. 
They beat Upper Church Stromban in the semi-final on a scoreline of 115 to 17 points. And they'll play Bursley in the final this coming Sunday in Temple Derry at 1 o'clock. And uh, there was also a defeat for Thurles CBS in the Dean Ryan Cup final last Wednesday. So that's the under 16 and a half A hurling competition. Uh, they lost to Limerick's Ard School Reach in front of a massive crowd in Nina. And the final score there was 319 to 123. On to Camogie and a great win for Drummond Inch. Yeah, brilliant scenes in Mallow yesterday. Drummond Inch won the 2022 Munster Senior Camogie Championship final. Uh, they defeated Scar for Gunnelow on a final scoreline of 14 points to 8. Um, it was all the more sweet for Drum, I suppose. They lost to Scarif last year, um, well, earlier this year in the 2021 um, final. They lost by a point. So uh, yesterday's win would have been all the more sweeter for Drum. It was five points apiece at half time. Um, really difficult conditions in that first half with, with the rain yesterday. But second half substitute Katie O'Dwyer came on in the 49th minute and scored three points from play to really uh, push Drum over the line. So they're now into an All-Ireland Senior Camogie semi-final. That's not going to be played though until December the 10th or the 11th. So that weekend, and they're either going to be playing uh, Lockheel Shamrocks of Antrim or Stockneil of Derry. Um, and yeah, it was just a special win, I suppose, yesterday for Drum because they had won the Munster in 2020, but it was you know, during COVID and you couldn't really celebrate or anything like that. But um, yeah, by, by the looks of things anyway, they, they had a good celebrations last night and I'm sure they'll continue for another few days yet. I can well imagine indeed. The ladies football, it wasn't to be for Clonmel commercials, ladies. <laughs> Yeah, they're in the Munster Senior B um, ladies football final that was on yesterday. They were playing their, their neighbours, basically, Comer Rangers of, of Waterford. It was on in Clonmel yesterday around 2 o'clock, and anyone who was around Clonmel at that time can uh, attest to the weather conditions um, yeah. at that time. It's spilling rain the whole, the whole uh, afternoon. Um, but they lost out on a final scoreline of six points to two to come our Rangers there. So their season is over for 2022. To rugby then, and what a win for, for Munster on Thursday. Yeah, big, massive win for Munster and something they really needed. They've been having a kind of a slow start to the season, to say the least, uh, not playing to their best at all, really. But that was kind of a throwback to the the Munster of old, really, a packed out crowd. I know it was in Porky Cueve, which was a special occasion as well. So they actually beat South Africa, um, or selection of South Africans, 28 uh, points to 14. Um, but there was plenty of Tipperary influence on the result. Cashel's Dermot Barron scored a try, uh, whilst Nina's Ben Healy set up two tries, and he also scored all four conversions. So uh, delighted for the two Tipperary lads going well there. And uh, then local rugby friend over the weekend, um, the AIL, all, all three Tipperary teams were in action in Division 2A. Cashel beat Corkside Dolphin 24-19. That was on in Cork. And Nina lost away to Old Crescent of Limerick 29 points to 28. Uh, that was a disappointing result for Nina because they were leading 21 points to 3 in the first mm. half. So uh, to, to lose by a point there was a, a signal for them. But uh, Clonmel, on the other hand, in Division 2C, they had a great away win. They were up in Mayo playing Ballina and they won uh, 25 points to 19. So a big win there for um, big win there for Clonmel. What's been happening? with soccer, Paul. Yeah, there was Munster Junior Cup third round action involving Tipperary teams uh, over the weekend. These games run yesterday and it was a particularly good day for Peak Villa. The Thurla side had two teams progress to the next round. Um, their B team defeated V Rovers 2-1 whilst their main team beat St. Michael's 2-1 and uh, Pippi Carroll with both goals for the A-side, whilst the Bears from Conor Murphy got the B-side over the line. So that the, particularly the A-side beating St. Michael's is, mm. a, is a massive win there for, for Peak Villa. And then elsewhere yesterday, Tumal Burris had a big 6-2 win over Banshee Celtic in their third round tie. And it was a Jamie Carey hat-trick there for Tumal Burris getting them into the next round. Can we look ahead then, Paul? GAA, first of all, and Ross Gray. 
Yeah, it's great that we're in the middle of November and we still have so much sport yeah. to talk about. Yeah. So uh, long may that continue. But uh, coming up to this weekend now, we have uh, Ross Gray will be hoping to continue their journey through the Munster um, Intermediate Hurling Championship. They're playing the Corkside Inescara. That's on Saturday at quarter past one in Semple Stadium. And that's the Munster Intermediate Hurling Semi-Final. And uh, it will be live here on Tip FM on Saturday uh, from about quarter past one. Um, also next weekend, we have the Under-19B Hurling Final, as I mentioned earlier, Bursley versus Kappa White Gales. That's in Temple Derry on Sunday at 1pm. Then we have the Under-19A Football Final on Saturday at half past one in Golden. And that's Clamwell Commercials up against uh, a mix of Thurlis Arsios and Durlis Oak. So that's uh, on a Saturday at half past one in Golden. And then midweek action, we have the Hearty Cup is back on Wednesday. So uh, Nina CBS are taking on North Mon and Our Ladies Temple Moor against Rochestown of Cork and Third of CBS take on Yacht of Cork. So all three Tipperary teams uh, taking on um, Cork opposition and I think uh, Cashel Community School, I think they have a bye this week. Um, so we won't see them in action. But uh, yeah, three three Tipperary schools in Hearty Cup action on Wednesday. Very good. We'd love to keep an eye on what's happening with the Australian rules as well. Yeah, as I think I mentioned to you last week, I tried to explain how the <laughs> playoff system works down down in Australia. But nonetheless, it's basically the semi-final. It's called a preliminary final, um, but it's basically the semi-final. Last four, uh, Orlo Dwyer's Brisbane Lions, they're in the final four action. Um, this is in the women's AFL. Uh, they take on the Adelaide Crows on Friday at 20 to 9 Irish time in the morning, so Friday morning, and a win would see the Lions into the grand final. So Orlo Dwyer already has a, a grand final medal in her pocket and was part of the All-Australian team last year. So she's had a great run of form down in Australia the last couple of years, and hopefully that can continue if they can get into another grand final this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Very best of luck to her. Finally, to horse racing, and I suppose Thursday is the one to have a look at it, is it? Yeah, a big day now for Clonmel Racecourse this Thursday. It's the Clonmel Oil Steve Steeplechase Day at Powerstown Park. It's their biggest race of the year and it's a great history of winners here uh, going on to do have more success. So win, winning here is a kind of a good pattern of uh, going on to win further big races. So um, I like I can I'll admit I'm not the biggest horse racing man. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't know much about horse racing, but I can tell you some of the previous winners are names that even I know. So War of Roar of Attrition, Sizing Europe, Duvan, and uh, Fakir Duderi have, have all won here in recent times. Um, so it's the first year back fully after two years of COVID restrictions. So there I know everyone in Clamwell Racecourses looking forward to Thursday afternoon and the seven race card gets underway at around twenty to one, and then the Clamwell Oil Steeple chess goes to post at 10 to 3. Paul, always a pleasure. Thanks very much for your time today. Thank Thanks, you. Ryan. Good morning to you. That's our sports editor, Paul Carroll, speaking to me from our, our Nina studio today. 1800-938-007. Text WhatsApp 083-311-3311 at 17 past 11 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Very sad news breaking this morning. Cervical cancer campaigner Vicky Phelan has died. She died in the early hours 
of this morning at Milford Hospice in Limerick. Now, Vicky was diagnosed, as you know, with cervical cancer in 2014. I've spoken to her uh, many times on the show. She was always, always a very powerful and inspiring um, speaker. And something that stands out to me was interviewing her in front of a live audience in Cashel in the library there following the publication of her book. And it was an amazing occasion. I once asked her, about the pressure she felt while leading the charge on what was to become a national scandal. I mean, you know, you remember in the first few weeks, every every week the number was growing. Yeah. It was like it was clocking up every week. I, could, I just couldn't get my head around that, that this number was growing and growing. And, you know, there were days I was sitting there going, Jesus Christ, what have I started? You yeah. know, but at the same time, it was, that's what drove me on. I mean, that's what drives me on to keep doing what I'm doing, friend. I mean, I could easily have stepped back on the day, you know, we've had this conversation, say, you know, within my family. I think they probably would have welcomed it in some respects if I just, you know, made my statement on the, the steps of the court and uh, kind of went back to my normal life. But as soon as it became apparent, and that's probably what I would have done, and except for, it, you know, the numbers kept getting bigger every day. And then people started contacting me, you know, from all around the country, women who had been affected. I couldn't I couldn't step back at that point because I just knew people trusted me. You know, women and families trusted me. And that's a big responsibility to take on. But I, I had to take it on because I knew at that point we didn't have any answers and the only person that people could trust was me. So that was it. And really, once I started, I couldn't back down, you know. At the voice of the late uh, Vicky Phelan. Uh, joining me now is Deputy Alan Kelly. Good morning to you, Alan. Uh, morning, friend. And condolences to you. You've been her friend for for many years. You you walked some of this journey with her. Um, she was a remarkable woman, Ellen. Uh, she was, and you know it's nice to just hear her voice there again. Um, she had she actually had a good time for your friend. She often she often uh, said that to me. Um, but the uh, yeah, I'm devastated, friend. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's, she was just the most incredible human being I've ever met. She's just, uh, it was all, you know, you have to, I suppose, these moments, but it was all by accident. She was in front of the Public Accounts Committee and afterwards she was going to a meeting with Simon Harris and she actually didn't know how to get there. So I brought her and Stephen Teeth up and I waited for them and I took them out of government buildings and brought them across and sailed on a taxi for them. They were trying to get the train and... Um, as I actually, as they were getting into taxi, she, she turned around and she hugged me and said, "Won't you always do your best for us?" My God! And I hope I did. What, what manner of person was she when she was off the, the the stage and and the spotlight off her? What what manner of woman was she, Alan? Uh, extremely funny, um, very witty. You probably gathered that from your yeah. interviews. So. Yeah. Um, very direct. Um, what you see is what you got with Vicky. That's, I think why we got on so well. Um, she was very uh, resilient, um, a huge amount of energy. And like the amount of people she helped, no one will ever know, friend. No one will ever know. I know because some people came to me, others she came to me about because I used my channels to help them. Um, so she was. Um, very loyal, um, very dedicated to her family, and my condolences to all the feelings and the Kelly family. Um, so you know she and she was a great friend. She, like she, she was always there for you. Um, even you know I had my own <coughs> uh, upsets in the last few months, and you know she was 
thinking about me more than herself, uh, which you know she um, she was she was just incredible. I was her seven or eight days ago inside in Milford, and um, you know we used to always joke she's a Kelly, you know her maiden name yeah. is Kelly, and uh, we always joke that the Kellys stick together. And the last thing I said to her before I left was the Kellys will always be together, and I put a smile on her face and a thumbs up. Um, so. Did she know at that point? Um, yeah. Did she? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and how how did she deal with that? If I'm not invading her privacy. Uh, like, yeah, I, I don't think I'll get into yeah. our conversation. But yeah. she, she she knew when she was dealing with it in the, the resilient way that she could um, preparing always prepared preparing for everything. Um, but she. Um, you know, I suppose when I got the news early this morning, the uh, I suppose she was so resilient that she'd bounced back so often, Frank, that you just, I suppose, in back of your mind, you always knew this day was coming, but you kind of, you know, yeah. she was always bouncing back, so you just can't believe it when it happens, you know. She um, she fought it to the, to the very end, didn't she, you know? Yeah, and, you know, you talk a lot about health stuff on your show, and mm. I just want to say this. I think her lasting legacy is, and I, I thought of this word earlier, I think it's empowerment. I think she's empowered the people of Ireland to think differently about their health and to ask questions and to, you know, never just take the word of certain medic as the gospel or, mm. you know, to always double check everything, to treble check everything, to look into stuff, you know, and I've adopted that in my own life from her and I'm saying, Hundreds of thousands of people have as well because she certainly has empowered people and I know people who've told me that as well um, to think differently about, you know, how you manage your health and deal with things. Um, and that would be her lasting legacy, uh, inspiration, but also the way she has empowered so many people to think differently about their health. Well, Anna, we appreciate your time this morning. I know it's an upsetting time for you, but thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank, thank you. Sir. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. That's Deputy Alan Kelly speaking to us there, 1800 938 I know a lot of uh, people out there feel that they, they knew her personally from her various interviews and uh, indeed from her memoir um, as well. But uh, as I say, she was great company and uh, I agree with Alan. She was good, good old crack as well, um, particularly when the microphone was was off, but condolences to uh, her family and to her many friends as well. We'll uh, take a break and back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007 Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Jane is in Nina today and says, R.I.P. Vicky, uh, thanks for all you did for Irish women and women worldwide. The bed of heaven uh, to her and condolences to her family as well. Another listener on to say, Hi, friends, so sad to hear the sad news of Vicky Phelan's passing. She was in my prayers always. Rest in peace, Vicky. Condolences to all of the family at this very, very sad time. Another listener saying, Fran, the cover-up will never end in this country until there's a law that the people who cover up are prosecuted. You probably won't read this out. All these women 
their life taken away from them and asking questions don't mean you'll get answers on 0833113311. Joining me now is Jennifer Jones-Hickey. Many of you will know Jennifer uh, from Circle of Friends Group in Tiptown. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, friend. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on with us today. You've had your own journey with cancer, Jennifer, and uh, I'm wondering how this news impacted you today. Yes, would you believe I've I just seen it as I as I got up this morning, and it, it, it was a shock. Even though I suppose many of us, you know, have followed Vicky for years, yeah. but it was just so sad to see, you know, um, you know, the sadness of her death this morning. So yeah, mm. it, it definitely was. What did you think, I mean, like yourself, getting out there, getting into the spotlight and fighting for services and uh, fighting for answers, I suppose, Jennifer, as well. I mean, I presume you would martyr as as a woman doing that? Absolutely. I mean, Vicky influenced, you know, massive change regarding the cervical checks um, here for the women of Ireland and her resilience, I think, and her courage to keep fighting through all the treatments um, that she was on. It was absolutely unbelievable and inspiring for me and everybody of Ireland. I think we all stood behind her and we just admired her so much and, you know, her courage and her bravery to keep fighting for the truth, you know. Did she she make a permanent difference, do you think, Jennifer? Well, I think it definitely she started what would continue. I mean, there there has been change Mm. and I think people having more confidence in the cervical checks, um, you know, and knowing that, you know, that there there was change made. So I believe that she definitely did. She she, she made a massive impact, you know, on, on everybody's life and the people around her. But I do think change has, has started, absolutely. As a young woman yourself who have gone on, on that cancer journey, were, were you able to to know what was going on in her head a lot of the time, Jennifer? Yeah, I mean, I followed her a lot and I, and I read her book and I also followed her on, on her appearances on The Late Late Show. Yeah. And I just think, you know, it was just, she was so powerful in her belief and I think that just shines through and, you know, it hits you on an emotional connection where you can understand and you can feel it yourself. So I think when someone is so passionate about something and their fight for the truth and what they believe in, I think everybody feels that. So she brought us all with her. Um, and we all stood behind her and we backed her so much. Do you, I, I'm just wondering of the, the frustration. I mean, when you first heard about that scandal with, with cervical check, I mean, the, the frustration and I suppose the anger of women right, right across the country, Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, it's very frustrating and very angry and the cover-up that was involved in it. Yeah. So I think for us, the shock of, you know, you're putting your trust in a system and our healthcare system and you're believing that the results that you're getting are, are accurate. And I suppose the peace of mind from that, like a man and women would wait for every every month or when they put in for the cervical checks. So I think it did create a lot of um, fear. And I suppose Vicky's fight kind of as the years went on um, and all the changes that were made and what we believe were made kind of created some bit of, you know, hope that things would change and that we could again believe and trust in our healthcare system that the results that we were getting were accurate and truthful and that, you know, there wasn't anything going to come in the door or that we weren't going to get sick as, as happened to Vicky and a few other people. And 
and the shock of that and for her family and for her her friends and it's it's yeah. It's, it's, yeah, and it's definitely uh, course, one that you can kind of go in on on a different, on different headspaces, I think, and different talk frames. Of course, and the big mm-hmm. danger was that women would lose faith in cervical check mm-hmm. uh, altogether, which would have been disastrous, really, you know. Absolutely, because, I mean, it has been shown the cervical check, you know, do save life. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, of, of uh, there, was, there was a period where people didn't believe that they did. But, I mean, I, I do have in the cervical checks. I mean, it's been proven that they do work, but yeah, I think it it, it, it was a very uncertain time for a lot of women, including myself and, and a lot of women that I know. How are you now, Jennifer? I'm doing good at the moment, man, thanks. Yeah. And every every year is, is a blessing, you know, when I wait for my scan, which I just had recently, and um, everything is good. So it's just constantly you know, getting checked and scans and keeping an eye on me. But right now, thank you, God, I'm doing really well. Well, I'm, de- I'm delighted yeah. to hear it. And and Circle of Friends as well? It's doing really well and yeah. we're growing all the time. Yeah, and, and continuing to expand our services and reach people, you know, outside of Tipperary Town and further afield. So that would be our constant journey of the centre to, you know, be there to help and support people through their journeys of cancer. Well, Jennifer, it's always good to talk to you and I'm so glad you're well. Thank you for coming on with me. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. No. Good morning to you. Bye-bye now. No. Jennifer Jones, Hickey there of Circle of Friends in uh, Tipperary Town. Breda joins me now. Breda, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. You were very sad to hear the news of Vicky's passing, Breda. I was because I followed her throughout it all, like, you know, and um, I... I was very sad to hear it this morning mm-hmm. when you mentioned it. You know, she was a beautiful lady inside and out. She was and she was like, in your prayers all of the time. She really, was in said. my prayers every day and night. I I I'd say a prayer, especially for her and Charlie Bird. Yeah, yeah. Them, I, I pray every night for him, and I even last night I I I prayed for I prayed for Vicky. Did you? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you know? What was special about her? Do you think, Breda? Because she, as sick as she was, she fought. Mm. You know, she yeah. she fought for other women. You know, and and to get justice for them, like as well. Mm. You know, and she she was such a caring person when she was on uh, the late late show. I she used to be on, she was on or if she, whatever she'd be on on radio, I'd yeah. be listening. Yeah. Yeah. And I have our book as well. You do know, you? And yeah. I do, yeah, I do. And, and of course, the the book is remarkable because her story, even before she um, got cancer, her her life story was remarkable, wasn't it? Even yeah, up until that, yeah. you know? Oh she, oh, she was a beautiful lady and how she, even when she was so sick there, because she knew like that she, she knew herself that she hadn't long, she made sure that her two children had great memories, yeah. you know, uh, and I'm so sad for 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 them today and her for all our family, you know. I I, I just I just put a, a, a damper on on me like and it's, and it's, that's the second damper now because the, the the gentleman that was killed last night I knew him well. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, very. Carrick Lake is just going to be. It's just going to be sad test, a sad town today, and for for sure, Breda. You know, but Vicky, she's yeah, she was a tremendous lady, and and I I I loved her to bits. You know, I really did. I 
because she fought for for everyone. Like you know, yeah. no, I've never had cancer, thank God. But my my sister Kath had uh, she passed away with leukemia. Oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. Ten years ago, it was our anniversary there on Friday. Yes. And my twin brother, he uh, passed away from a brain tumour uh, five months after her. So, you know, and then my best friend, the following February, she died of cancer as well. My God, you, and, like, you've had you know, your share and, of it and for I've sure. I've had my share of it, you know, family yeah. and friends, like, you know, and... What happens, Breda, with people? I, I often notice this, and I'm sure you've noticed it as well, that people who end up going on that cancer journey, they, they get some sort of strength. They're, they become remarkable, don't they, in terms of how they, they do? They do, yeah, them. they do. They they fight, like, you know, uh, I don't know how to do it, because, I, God, forgive me, but I, if, if I, I think if I ever got it with the help of God, I never will. I don't think I, I, I would go, I'd be able for that. Yeah, you but, know, I, I think I just, yeah. I just, uh, I'd be gone. I, see, you, you know, you don't I, I know, know. I'm not be strong enough. I don't think. Well, I'm sure you, you, you might. Now, maybe be. I would. Maybe I could surprise yeah. everyone. But you know, um, it's it's so it's so sad how you know when they have chemo, they're so sick. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and when they're going through all that, and because I've no, I've known people like you know. My sister, like, she went into hospital in July in Waterford. She's from County Wexford. And she passed away in November. She left that hospital once uh, to go home and had to bring her back that night and she never saw home again. Oh, God. You know, oh, so... it's heartbreaking, isn't it? You know, and mm. I stayed with her for the last... Um, and my other sister, who's here with me at the moment, uh, she... We stayed with her for the last uh, three or four nights, like, you know. That must have been very difficult, Breda, was it? It was was very difficult. It was. She asked for me to stay with her and because I had stayed with my twin brother uh, when he got it first, I stayed with him for three months in Beaumont Hospital. Well, you see, there you are. Now you're you know, speaking. You're speaking to me that you mightn't have strength. You have loads of strength. But I, I don't know where I got the strength from, Fran. Well, there you are. I had the strength for him, like, and then I stayed with him for nine or ten weeks in Gore Hospital in palliative care. And was he you able know? to chat to you to he the was, end? Yeah, so? he was, but he was in a lot of pain. Was he? So the last the the three days before he passed away, he went into a coma, and that. You know, but oh, he still knew I was there. Did he? You know, because I had slipped out for a, for a few hours, and my sister and brother were there, and we got the news that he was um, um, he was dying. You know, he wouldn't wouldn't be long, and to get back as quick as we can. And the nurse that was there kept saying to him, "John, please stay there for Brida." She's been here for you for the last nine weeks, and um, she she said stay so that she can say goodbye to you. And he didn't. He died five minutes after I got in. So he hung on for you. He hung on for me. Yeah, yeah. He was my twin. Oh, was yeah. he? My twin brother. Yeah, John. Yeah. So that must have made it all the more difficult for you because there's a particular bond with with yeah. twins. Really. Yeah, we had yeah. a great bond. The two of us, like you know, he used to come up here and. Then when he got the the brain tumor, it 
he changed completely. It wasn't the same, John, at all. Like you know, and he uh, he never came he never came up here again. And I went down. Like you know, I used to go down to see him, and yeah. you know, but it was it was never the same. He was never he was never the same, John. He changed. changed His personality, you mean? And yeah, yeah. Short term memory went, and um, he never he never rang me or anything like that. I'd have to ring him, you know, and he'd be talking about the same things. And then you'd ask him a question, and five minutes later he'd be after forgetting, you know. And so it affected his mind. Affected mm. his mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God! So, um, but yeah, you've certainly had had your own troubles. That's that's for sure, Breda. You know, I have, and I've I have a friend as well um, that you know, Mary. I mean, she's got through a lot. Yeah. You know, Mary Mary Hickey. Of course, of course. You know, yes. she's gone through a lot. She's an amazing woman. What yeah. she's what she's. I don't know how she keeps going. I really don't. Well, Breda, it was lovely you to know, talk to you today, and thank you so much for for sharing so much with us. May, today. Yeah, but may Vicky rest in peace. All right, Breda. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, Thank friend. you. Good morning to you. Okay, bye bye to you now. That's uh, Breda speaking to us this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Now, right throughout her her journey with uh, her um, her disease, uh, Kian O'Carroll was her solicitor and was by her side, indeed. And Kian joins me now. Good morning to you, Kian. Hi, Fran. And uh, condolences to you, Kian, because you were on that journey uh, with her. What a remarkable woman. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I just got a message from uh, a colleague who had worked on her on her case that started everything um, four and a half years ago, and and he just said uh, I had hoped she was indestructible, and she seemed indestructible for a lot of that time, and yet she knew, and everyone around her knew that time was always going to be limited, but she fought so hard. And so successfully to to get more time for her family, um, to love them and to receive their love back. And that's what it was all about. And in the middle of all of that fighting, struggling to extend her time, she still found time for the rest of us. And that's the, incred- the rest of us, I mean the whole yes. country. Yes, and that's the incredible thing is that she did divide her time, didn't she, for the greater good, I suppose, Kian? She felt um, compelled to do it, um, but where she found the energy. Uh, now, I know she said that she she fed from it as well, and it it gave her tremendous energy, But and, and that's because there was such an outpouring of, of, of love from people for her. Um, but that was because she was so special. She was so powerful as a communicator. She was so sincere. Um, she was truthful and honest in everything she did and said. And people responded to that. And that, I think, as well, made her effective as uh, as an advocate for change. And change and improvements she achieved in spades. And that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, if you were to outline her achievements, <clears throat> Kian, what, what would you say they were? Um... She put truth and honesty at the at the heart of this medical legal debate that we have in Ireland. You know, in that a wrong was done to her, that wrong was hidden from her, the second wrong. Um, and 
she wouldn't accept confidentiality. She wouldn't accept to, to be to be gagged, and she insisted on making sure that everybody else who was similarly wronged would know. And then she went on and she set about improving the system in like the most extraordinary way through her work with Dr. Gabriel Scali. Fifty separate itemised improvements with government departments being held to account on a six-monthly basis to ensure that these improvements were put in place uh, so that something like this wouldn't happen again. Then she set about fighting for access to the drugs that she had to fight for herself, for others. Then she set about organising a national representative body for the women and families who had been affected by the cervical check scandal to ensure that they both had advocacy but also were supported with everything from uh, additional uh, fertility supports for the large number of women who were denied the opportunity to have a family, um, uh, simple stuff like medical cards for immediate family members um, and, uh, and, and all sorts of other additional care packages which were absolutely necessary but again had to be fought for. And all of that stuff was being done, fought for by Vicky while she was so sick and fighting for her own life and to extend that life. So that's, I mean, she never thought of sitting back and going, no, I can't do this Mm. anymore. Mm. I I was talking to Alan Kelly earlier on as well, who was a great Mm. friend of hers too. And and, and the... The, the the woman herself off stage, off the spotlight, and I asked him this question mm. as well. What manner of woman was she to you? Um, great crack. Um, that is probably the, the the simplest way. I know that sounds a little bit superficial, um, but a night in Vicky's company, or any time in Vicky's company, was brilliant and was full of laughter. And, uh, and it was always, you know, she, she had a job to do, uh, and I was part of doing her job. You know, I was, I was one of the people who could uh, assist her. Mm. Um, but So she had a clarity in what she was trying to achieve. But all the way through, um, she was the best company uh, to be in, and, uh, and, uh, and a wonderful laugh, uh, dazzling smile. And uh, uh, I... Uh, I was very, very happy that she came into my life and that I got to know her. Does your work take on a whole different dynamic, uh, Kian, if it involves somebody like that and a cause that you feel very deeply about as well? Does it take on something other than the usual? Oh, yes. But that came from Vicky Feeling, I think. Um, She... She had. She, she turned a professional relationship into a personal one, and it happened almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like the very first time we met, uh, our our meeting ended with a hug, and um, and so there, there was just a, a warmth from her that she was able to. I think she was able to to channel that into uh, getting everyone to work in the same direction, to work on the stuff that was important um, because she felt that she had very little time. She had to get a lot done really quickly and uh, and she did. So it's, um, yeah, it's... it's very powerful when you meet somebody like that and they, like, it's, it's like that sense of higher purpose. 
it's inevitable that somebody like Vicky then, you know, because such a spotlight on her that she becomes extremely well known. And I remember one time she shared with me that the first time she realised that she was in a garage getting petrol and all of a sudden she had an awful lot of uh, attention. How did she deal with that kind of attention, do you think? Um, pretty well. Do you remember that wonderful interview you did um, with Vicky in the library in Cashel? I remember well, yeah. Um, and uh, and it was... Um, I'm I'm hoping that you have a recording of that, do you? Would you believe I don't? Ah, I'm ashamed to say I don't. Um, and from your own point of view, it was, it was just a stunning interview from from, from an interviewer's point of view. But um, uh, it, how did she deal with that? She dealt with it very warmly. I remember walking around, um, walking down the street, we'll say, with her uh, in Dublin and other places, and people would come up. And she gave everyone time, and people were very respectful, but they they wanted to uh, to touch her and to because they had been touched by her in 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 their turn and she spoke about men and how she found that very difficult men tearing up often thinking about their own loved ones and people that they had lost um, uh, cancer affecting every family and people seeing her, seeing in her um, something of, a, of a, 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 a touchstone in that respect. But she knew that it was helping people. And then she spoke about when she went to America, and the thousands of emails. She gave her email address out on, was it Late Nature or yeah, something? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not a very good strategy if you're hoping to manage your inbox. <laughs> um, and yes. thousands and thousands of emails followed. And and she felt that that was like a, a wave that carried her because they were all so full of support and love and good wishes um, and, and, and simple things. She wasn't a person of uh, deep faith, shall we say, um, but the support of other people's prayers and people offering to light candles for her or sending her hugs, all of that, um, she definitely derived tremendous uh, strength and support from that. You alluded to her her legacy, um, but there are still other women out there, of course, uh, suffering. In, in indeed, what what about that legacy, and uh, and where are we now? Um, well, where are we now? When you ask that, you're, you're asking about other people who yeah. are affected. Yeah. Um, that. That, in reality, is the legacy of the failures of cervical check and of the HSE. That is their legacy. Um, and it's a legacy of shame and pain uh, and and harm. Um, Vicky's legacy is quite a different one. And, and that is for standing up with courage, for truth and honesty, and holding people to account uh, for wrongs that have been done. And that legacy is, I think, going to continue to inspire people long into the future. Uh, she could not have achieved more. She achieved an unimaginable amount uh, in the time and place she had. Um, and that continues where people have a system that they can have faith in, um, a system that, can, that has the ability to save lives and is now properly run uh, whereas before it was, as Dr. Scully had said, 
um, a, a system that was doomed to fail. Um, it was that badly organised. Um, so that's a huge contribution to society. In addition to that, she encouraged people to think for themselves. Not that they should have a lack of trust in the health service, but that they should never have blind faith in something and that they should ask questions about their own health care. And I think people, she would want people to be reminded of that uh, and to go on encouraging that into the future. And then you have all of the individual um, uh, changes to, to lives that, that, that were made as a result of her courage in standing up and not going quietly. And that's, uh, that's being felt in families throughout the country where they have now access to important health care or important supports um, because the injuries that people suffered, the changes in their lives that they suffered through the failings in cervical check um, were all very severe. Um, some of them obviously resulted in families being couples unable to have and women unable to have any children. Um, terrible, debilitating injuries from the radiation and chemotherapy and surgical treatments they had for cancers they shouldn't have developed. Um, and then obviously the, the large number of people who have already died, and it's a number that isn't known, but from my personal knowledge would certainly be in the region of 30 at this stage, if not more, um, uh, and, and, and will continue. Um, and so those families, it doesn't change what has happened, but those families would never have known that there were negligent failures uh, that in turn had been uncovered by the HSE and were then kept from them. It didn't affect the treatment they received. People sometimes misunderstand that, and it's worth r reminding people of that, that nobody was denied treatment by the mistakes. What happened was that tests or uh, screening tests called cervical smears were negligently misread, were not read carefully enough, and, and abnormalities that ought to have been detected were missed. Um, and that led to delayed diagnosis and delayed treatment. And then subsequent to that, when there was a look back to see, did we miss anything? They found 221 cases where that had happened. There were many more, but they found 221 of them that they felt were of such a serious nature that they had caused significant harm. And those cases then became the 221 group, of which Vicky was the first effectively. But those people were kept largely in the dark about that discovery. And that was the second terrible wrong that she uncovered. Kian, on this very sad day, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, Kian. Thank you. And once again, condolences to you. Thank you for, for talking to us today. Thank you. Bye bye to you. That's uh, Kian O'Carroll there, Tipperary solicitor, of course, and was by Vicky's side for for all of those years. Um, that's it for me for today. And uh, Emma produced, Ali looks after her content, Stephen is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie